show. Oh, oh, we forgot that I missed up the sound, the the theme song. That's okay. I wanted to play the theme song. Do you want? Do you want to hear the theme song, Isel? Uh, yes, I insist. <laughs> it's so hard to not abuse animals. I think everyone else likes to hear it. Colonies can fuck themselves. Gentlemen, tonight we have uh, Durian Ryder's best friend, <laughs> Isol Mizzard. How are you? I'm great, thanks, man. <laughs> I'm glad. You, I'm glad you're Durian. Durian Ryder's I best think you friend. I've heard the clip on channel. I have a very short clip saying, you know, in the last several years, veganism has not brought any joy and happiness in my life. It's only been tears. But you know, in the midst of of. of <laughs> I've been smiling, smiling and laughing a lot lately as the vegan movement well, kind of burns down around me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's good. I, I feel like most vegans have a little bit of um, gallows humor when it comes to the whole world ending and all of that. There has yeah, to be, yeah. right? Or else. Um, but you you went so far as to say that the vegan movement ruined your life, I heard you say. So, I mean, Ooh. that's – I mean, you, you did say yeah. that. So, so yeah, I mean I, – I was... <laughs> So look, I can't be a hypocrite about this. I very often ask uh, people, you know, who do you want to be five years from now? What do you want to be doing with your life five years from now? This kind of thing. Yeah. And reflecting back on the decisions you made in the past, uh, there's a better person I could be today if I had made a different decision five years ago. So really easy examples, video game addiction. You know, well, yeah, yeah you spent five years playing Skyrim. You spent five years playing World of Warcraft. There's a better person you could be today. You know, those those kinds of issues. And again, who do you want to be five years from now? Do you want to spend the next five years playing whatever the current generation equivalent is to Skyrim okay. or World of Warcraft? You know, these kinds of questions. But yeah, it is in that sense, when I look back at the last, say, 10 years, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not that I regret eating a vegan diet or, you know, whatever. It's not, there's <laughs> nothing of that yeah. kind. But sure, I mean, you know, uh, it, it's now, it's uh, look for you too. You and I are the same age. Uh, yeah. To reflect on what else I could have done with my life just within those 10 years, and you could even go back 15 years or so. Yeah. They, it's yeah. So now you've you've struck a very somber mood at the start of the interview. But well, yes, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. That's you said veganism ruined my life. <laughs> so, first, first question of the day how did veganism right. ruin your life? Well, I mean, like, because. <laughs> It's important to me because like I, I'm kind of I'm going the opposite direction where like I have done a lot of activism, but I had a career. I've done things and, um, right. you know, and I'm going now I'm going to the full time uh, I'm full time vegan activist now. And I, I'm finding it much more rewarding than simply working for someone else, trying to enrich somebody else. And although I might be making less money, I'm taking home less money now, I feel like at least I'm. I have the illusion that I might be making a difference. And sometimes the illusion is, is enough. Whereas every other job I've ever had, I think that I found things to be, you know, um, proud of and leadership and, and uh, mentorship and things like that, that I was able to 
really find right. I, so I was I'll good at you, it. You know? I'll give you a quick contrast. And again, I'm I'm keeping it 100% real. I'm being 100% honest. I can yeah. be less honest if you want me to later in the interview. <laughs> I mean, some subjects on which some some you know candor may be counterproductive. Um, mm. But you know, when I lived in Vientiane, the capital city of Laos, I did yeah. some research and I investigated and I wrote uh, a series of articles about a sex scandal. So uh, one of the articles is very memorably titled "Sex and Celibacy in the Poverty Industry." So this is intention. This is referring to humanitarian work as the poverty industry. The poverty industry. Yeah, I'm sure they love yeah. that. So that article just went on a website, and it is just what they call a wall of text. I don't think there's a single photograph. Then there's no mm -hmm. video. There's nothing left up. And at that time, you know, this this uh, series of articles I wrote, it resulted in my name appearing in Le Monde, one of the most famous newspapers in Paris, France. Mm -hmm. Uh, I appeared in the Scandinavian press. I forget exactly. Denmark, Sweden, Norway. Definitely Norway. Definitely Norway. <laughs> yeah, Norway um, and that article had an immediate impact in the politics of a communist country where there's no transparency. There's no, I mean, it's truly a dictatorship. Um, mm. But nevertheless, there were there were meetings. There were consequences. This, this really impacted uh, people's lives. So, you know, the world has changed. The significance of publishing, the significance of the written word. I'm uh, in the same scenario today. I don't think that could happen. No, uh, not through writing. Not through writing in English. No, and, um, probably not. Yeah. On, yeah. So, 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 you know, in this this contrast. What is the difference I could have made in the world if, as an intellectual, and if in terms of political engagement, I kept going in another direction? Well, you know, I had experiences like that before I got involved. In veganism. So at that time, I just mentioned I ate what I called a, uh, a strictly vegetarian diet, which was mm. almost vegan. I did, uh, for example, I did have Parmesan cheese and pasta. Mm -hmm. it, it was kind of stuff like that. Like I would passively ingest dairy worked into things, but I, I had already been vegetarian for a long time. I refused to wear leather. There were signs of my incipient veganism. And I'd heard, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I'd heard the word vegan incredibly few times in my whole life at that time. You know, there was this kind of general transition. Yes. And I always explained to people, like, what, so for example, I totally refused to eat eggs. I refused to buy or wear leather. That was a big problem, actually, in a third world country at that time. You couldn't get non-leather shoes and non-leather boots. But that was a struggle. Anyway, at that time, I was actually not yet vegan, but that was the principle. Right. You were, it was, yeah. You were, but I wasn't an advocate for veganism. I was dealing with questions of democracy, human rights, poverty. Like, there's all kinds of real-world politics I was doing. So, sure. yeah, this is. I think this a is lot of vegans start that way, though, don't they? They start out with some justice ideas. They start out with like workers' rights stuff. I don't know. Like, I was, I had been, done, yeah, I've been on protests and things like that, right. and had had various, you know, kind of strong feelings about justice. I think right. that's kind of the primer for um, for a vegan, for a real vegan. Well, 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 look, sorry, as I keep it 100% real. I mean, I think the unasked and unanswered question here is kind of how left-wing are you and how left-wing am I? Um, for, for a lot of people, just mention, you know, one example outside of veganism, one inside veganism. You know, Elon Musk has really engaged in a decades-long striptease. Uh, Ten years ago, people assumed Elon Musk was about as left-wing as Bill Clinton. Like, not left-wing, but left of center. And it's mm. been revealed step-by-step step just how right-wing he is. It's kind of come yeah. out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's no, a now, right wing, a right wing nepo oh, right. baby who, uh, you know, what what he, what he uh, right, he right. No, no, no. a diamond well, mine just, or whatever. It was. Just five years ago, in part because of his connection to solar power, mm -hmm. you know, he was a solar power and ecology. 
most people assumed he was left of center. You know, like his political views were largely unknown. Well, I'm old enough to remember. He, gradually, we found out who he was politically. Yeah. The same way, you know, Unnatural Vegan, who remains by numbers one of the largest vegan YouTubers, whether or not she's influential is another question, but she, she certainly has reached a huge audience consistently yes. for 10 years. Yes. Uh, Unnatural Vegan, everyone assumed she was left of center. And over time, what was slowly revealed is really she is quite right wing, you know? Yeah. So to say that is actually one of the other, you know, it's often unasked and unanswered is how left or how right uh, people are. I So uh, again, some people already know this, I've heard a hundred times, some people don't. My parents were both communists and not moderate communists. They were really hardcore communist extremists, like other communists regard them as yeah. unreasonable. And then I was, I really developed as an anti-communist. So at any mm. given time, where I fit in on the left to right spectrum, but sorry, again, I'm not folding you at all, but even your way of phrasing that, I would never describe what I was doing in Laos or Cambodia in terms of social justice or even in terms of mm. justice. You know, I, I don't, you, it's just an interesting thing for me to hear you say that. Uh, but to give another example of a, an issue that's dominated by the far left, you know, I got involved with indigenous people's uh, politics, languages, and rights, the Korean Ojibwe. There's a lot of left-wing hippies in that field also. But I'm I'm not one of them, you know. And my reasons and my engagement. And again, I don't I don't just just. Well, I don't think I don't think the left has a has the market cornered on justice. And I don't know how we you know we describe <laughs> we describe things uh, very uh, differently sometimes. But I don't yeah. think that you're like to say that you're you're asking yourself questions and and developing a personal philosophy kind of centered around ideals of justice, freedom, uh, whatever right. what uh, fairness. You could call it. I mean, to I right. think a lot of people who become vegan and become vegan activists, vegan, um, I don't know, active, just active vegans, that they they start out asking questions about justice. They start right. asking questions about fairness. Right. I don't know whether or not it's well, social well, just, justice. I just, I just present this to you as a contrast. So, you know, if you start out instead asking questions about democracy, that's actually a fundamentally different way of framing it. You know, and in democracy, there are winners and losers and democracy may not be fair. And it may not be just. Just two two examples real quick. We can talk about them at length if you want to, but these are one sentence mm. each if you want to be. You know, mm. so one example, the indigenous people of Canada, like the Cree and the Ojibwe. We have a lot of empty land in Canada, or near, I should say nearly empty. <laughs> It'd be yeah. very easy still today to take a map and say, look, guys, we're going to give you your own country, or at least we're going to give you kind of nine-tenths of an, your own country like we did with Quebec. Quebec is not a separate country, but it's almost a separate country. Like they have a right, lot of powers. Yeah. So, okay, so the Korean and Ojibwe can have their own country. And it'll be a democracy. It's not going to be a kingdom. It's not going to be a dictatorship. You know, right away I can say to you, this is not a social justice issue. There are going to be winners and losers. And there are going to be some white people who say, hey, look, they've been living in the remote woods for 300 years. And they are the losers in this. Like, whatever, their personal family has been there since the Mayflower or whatever. And that they are... They are now second-class citizens in this new territory you've created to be this special nation. And you know what I say? You're right. <laughs> you know, in democracy, there are winners and losers. And you have gone from being part of the white majority in a white majority country to being a white minority in a new... But in terms of statecraft... So democracy I mean, state is not justice. Democracy is not fair. But it's democracy. <laughs> democracy is, I would say, the fairest that yeah. we can figure out and we and a direct democracy is something that you know doesn't work at large scale and when you talk about ideas of statecraft i mean we're gonna have winners and losers i mean shit we're gonna right. have winners and losers no matter what part of part of me being alive is that somebody isn't is that i'm yeah, displacing yeah, yeah, yeah. someone else i mean 
so I, I don't know. I don't know that that no, necessarily. Look, um, but look, look, look. Uh, in saying, I don't even say democracy is the most fair uh, social system. You know, I would just point out democracy. People with my personality have a lot of advantages. It's suitable to people like me, and probably you. I don't know you that well. Probably you also are the kind of person who thrives in a democracy. But no, but. Not everyone can get up and talk at the podium at City Hall. Not everyone can no. debate. There's a certain type of personality that thrives in, in, and in just talking about politics and, and contesting things. And there's a certain type of personality well, that thrives why, you know, in yeah, a Catholic authoritarian society and so on. Yeah, no, I just say, I'm just being real with you. And yeah, but I mean, that's why losers. <laughs> there are winners and losers, but we don't necessarily have to have like, it, I mean, I, I still think that if we yeah. have, we have to have professional politicians. I hate the idea because, you know, uh, the fundamentals of American democracy, the American style of democracy right. was that you, you 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 become a politician, then you enter our ranks again as a common citizen. And we just don't I just don't think I think that ship sailed a long time ago. I don't think that's a possibility right. in, in today's kind of version of what we have. So, I mean, but I. I still think that like when you're asking those bigger questions and asking who what's right and wrong for as right. many people's involved and, and, and we're going to drift into utilitarianism if we're not character, careful oh, right. and, 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 and I have a hundred videos criticizing utilitarianism. Yeah, yeah. Going, yeah. But like yeah. when you're asking ideas about like who is, whether or not it's fair for as many as possible and, 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 what is justice? What, asking these questions like, "What is freedom?" I remember. I remember asking, "What is freedom?" Back in in my teens, like, "What right. the hell is the thing we were called freedom?" And we're 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 zombified because we're just uh you know we repeat the mantra freedom freedom freedom. We don't actually understand what that means at all. It's just but, something so, that we. I have published two books, but only two. And the, the issue we're talking about now is in this one, the big heavy one. They're both very cheap, but this one's only one dollar. This one's probably going to come on more because it's about veganism. But this one about politics and democracy, one of the most disturbing <laughs> observations mm. is if you live in communist China today, your life is in almost every conceivable way the same as living in the United States of America. And you know, I know that firsthand. So communist China is a dictatorship, but to give an example... If you go to a university campus, it's shockingly similar to be on American. And hey, when you're on an American university campus, there is no democracy. It's a completely authoritarian. Uh, yeah, exactly. And you know, when yeah. I when I lived in when yeah. I lived in Las Vegas, something they would say a lot. Uh, the people, because I worked with a lot of people who also worked in Macau, and they would say things like, "You want to see real capitalism? Go right. to China." Right, That's right, right. But well, I just mentioned, but I am not saying this to make excuses for. The Chinese Communist Party. I'm not. I'm very anti-communist and anti-China in many ways. I, that's not point. the point. The yeah. point is to raise the question of how democratic really uh, is the United States of America today, is Canada or the countries of, of Western Europe. And, you know, it's it's more than zero, but on a scale of one to ten, it's it's perilously close to zero. So right, go on. Yeah. Well, don't, don't you think that with veganism, I mean, if in a vegan world, where we are actually considering the um, rights and feelings of others, even the the, the lowest of us, I put in air quotes, right. um, the non-human animal, do, wouldn't we be closer to something that would resemble, I don't know, closer, more more closely resemble our ideals of freedom and justice? Right. So, so this is the the theme that this relatively short needs to read book uh, takes on. The fundamental tension is of of populism versus elitism. 
Right. Now, I'll give you a really great test of elitism in the year 2023. You can look at what are currently the best-selling books on Amazon about climate change. So let's say the top 20 books about global warming, climate change, etc. And now mm. do a quick Google search for the names of each of the authors plus the word vegan. And what you generally get are their excuses for why they're not vegan. Mm -hmm. Every single one of those books is written by a meat eater. I looked up one just a True. couple days ago. I was slightly interested in the book and I'm looking at the author. And in an interview with The Guardian, so this is the British newspaper, The Guardian, which is right. far left wing. Uh, he, he Vegan Bible, this, according to Piers Morgan. Oh, yeah, right. He gave this really insulting uh, statement in the interview that, no, he doesn't believe in personal asceticism to try mm -hmm. to solve <laughs> global warming climate. You know, he insulted vegans as merely being some kind of bunch of religious eccentrics engaged in self-flagellation in, well, in asceticism, et cetera, et cetera, you know? They all, they all so, seem to be, yeah, like we're all, we're all ascetic monks waiting to just denying ourselves of earthly pleasures. Right. I, mean, I think that Noam Chomsky says something similar to that, like denying yourself something isn't going to um, change the world. And by the way, uh, one human being doesn't make that much of a difference anyway. And it's like, right. thanks, Noam, you dumb fuck. Like, meanwhile, he talks about like, anyway, Noam Chomsky, one of my, personal heroes is not oh, vegan and I, i'm not. surprised to hear that <laughs> no my lifelong personal enemies <laughs> oh, i like noel chomsky a lot the way he talks about um the way he talks about the way the way propaganda works in america is something that's been really influential in in my life i just i see i i feel like he's one of the first guys because again I, I read noam chomsky in high school and like one of the first guys to kind of pull back the so I, I am not I'm not saying this as a personal attack on you at all. This is just to educate the audience and 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 unpack a little bit why I would say I'm an enemy of Noam Chomsky. So the Khmer Rouge, the communist yeah. regime that killed millions of people in Cambodia. Noam Chomsky right. for Paul or against <laughs> right, Paul Pot, the Khmer Rouge. So are you over this? Because I mean it's a great example of how what you've just said in praise of Noam Chomsky is totally untrue and really the opposite is true and worth worth knowing yeah well i mean with with the kind of uh the scope and 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 time frame we're talking about that he the shit that he's talked about over the years right. um he's gonna make some missteps i know that people thought pol pot was you know america's boy over there for a long time but um well, he was really and he was. Yeah, it's not exactly how it panned out, though. It wasn't. It wasn't always cracked up to be that Khmer Rouge, the the Red King, the Red Caesar of of, of right. Cambodia. Well, um, look, it is not a minor misstep in the life of Noam Chomsky that he supported and made excuses for Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. It's a major clue to what a deeply flawed and totally immoral person he is. Intellectual. But well, I, I would think just say, flawed. I'm pushing an open door here. No, but veganism is also his attitude towards mm. veganism also it exactly shows you his intellectual and ethical problems. I could give other examples, but if you just look at those two, you know. Well, I think a lot of these thinkers that we look back on, I mean, the people that I've admired over the years, I can't, I have to cherry pick them. I mean, you take someone like even um, Thomas Jefferson or someone like, yes. uh, you know, you can't, you can't take them kit and caboodle. You have to, you have to take what they've said and that you agree with and say, oh, that's an interesting thought for someone who lived 300 years ago. And, you know, and I have to say he was a man. Take him in all in all for what he was. You know, I'm well, that's why, that's why, I guess that's kind of how I look at him. No, I, 
I got to tell you something. I give the example of Napoleon, Napoleon Bonaparte, leader of the French. Mm. His views about black people. Obviously, the vast majority of fans of Napoleon will say, oh, no, well, you know, you have to separate that. The same sort of thing you're saying. Well, you know, you can't you can't judge him for everything. No, no, I think that's really very instructive in understanding who Napoleon was. Uh, Napoleon's sex life. I think, again, yeah. it's, you really understand. So, no, I, I do I do judge the whole man that way. And again, just to bring it up to current day, Donald Trump, I'd say the same. I mean, you know, Donald Trump, I do judge him by his sex life. No, not only by, it's not like the only thing that matters is sex life. But no, you know, I, I think you do really have to appreciate the, the whole man. Yeah, I think sex life usually matters if it's a crime or if it's in conjunction with other things that seem like crimes. Do you know what I mean? Kind of like our friend... So, um, so, so, <laughs> oh, Elon Musk. Melissa's shouting out Elon no. Musk. Elon Musk has to judge for his sex life also. She's shouting again. So there's another there's another personality just off mic here. <laughs> you, yeah. You can interrupt any time, babe. <laughs> well, look, so 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 let's say I've been a public intellectual on the internet for 10 years. If you include mm -hmm. my period as a Buddhist uh, scholar, then it's 20 years or something. If you count mm -hmm. my period in the Green Party in ecological politics, then it's 30 years or something. But anyway. Uh, let's say let's say 10 years. There has been no period of time in which I was not judged for my sex life. Now that includes my actual sex life and mm. includes my imaginary sex life. And yes. includes uh, people just made up stories about who I was, and then I had to deal with that. So no, I'm actually not complaining in this kind I'm actually not. But no, uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Napoleon, uh, <laughs> or, or indeed mm. Noam Chomsky. No, and, and I just say though, it's not the case that Noam Chomsky can be regarded as a perfectly rational, uh, highly intellectual, highly ethical person, except when he's talking about Cambodia. I think it's instead the case, if you be honest with yourself, what's wrong in his thinking about Cambodia shows it recurs under many underheadings. It recurs under mm -hmm. linguistics, and it recurs under, for example, the Israel-Palestine conflict, and it recurs in veganism, veganism, animal rights, ecology, whatever mm -hmm. it is, sure. Sure, I would absolutely say that about him. And no, again, I, we can just beat up on Noam Chomsky. But I think it's true for everyone in this audience. If you just reflect on who your own parents are, it's probably true of your parents. You know what I mean? Like, there are probably just people in your life that way where, you know, likewise, you have to admit that. You know, the same kind yeah. of reckoning. Truth. Right. I think that that's how I, how I look at a lot of people these days. I mean, it's just it's just difficult to not. Um, right. To not have to, par you have to parse some of this because people are, well, like Walt Whitman, right. you know, of course I contradict myself. I contain multitudes. He, um... so, so look, look, let, uh, we can go over the jugular here. Wayne Siong and a, a, well, a good congress. Was... But, but look, what about James Aspie too? I mean, you know, I think we do judge these people by their sex lives. So what the we judge them by their the economic lives. Why is everyone talking about Aspie today? I missed something, I guess. Someone was talking about Aspie before we started that he was all... So, uh, I don't if, know. If you've got comments, oh, I can't see them. If I click here, I can. Go on, yeah. Okay. No, I don't know. I, what, I don't no, someone, comments. someone talked about Aspie before the broadcast started, but um, yeah, I mean, James Aspie, Wayne Young, um, problematic right. now. I mean, it's uh, it's difficult to have, you know, kill your heroes though too, right? You're not supposed to worship the um, the ground that people walk on. They're not. These, these, I guess it's easier when they're dead, like, um, like Thomas. <laughs> like that. You know, I could be like, oh, well, that's a Mohandas Gandhi. Judge him by his yeah. There you life. go. Very Just good example. It's a very deep insight. So look, also, for me, also, also racist at times. Oh, oh yes. Oh no, no. Uh, so look, I know, I know Gandhi back to front, but Gandhi's career, mm -hmm. never forget, began in South Africa. 
So yes. no racial issues, black versus white, and so on. That's yeah, that's a big part of the story. Yeah, I mean, this is something that he. That, I mean, people, but people don't take him as a whole. They take what he did in India, fighting the English and the salt marches and all of that, and say, right. they say, okay, well, that part of his life is inspirational, and you can be inspired by someone that is flawed. So let me Not ask this King question: Jr. plagiarized just this today, I was looking at a photograph of Cassie King, who bearing her midriff, not entirely nude. Uh, covered in blood, so Cassie King in 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 revealing revealing attire yeah. laid out uh, covered in blood. I've seen her. I have never seen her nude doing this, but I've seen her in skin tight, flesh colored uh, uh, swimsuits, trying to look almost nude, covered in blood. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to quote Method Man from the Wu Tang Clan, <laughs> "What part of the game is this?" Wayne Siong said, "You were going to imitate the methodology and success of Mohandas Gandhi." And he said that again and again and again until I mm-hmm. made a video pointing out that he's never read anything by Gandhi or anything about Gandhi, mm-hmm. which he retweeted on Twitter, indicating that he has seen it. I'm sure everyone in DXE at that time has seen it now eight years ago. Then he stopped mm-hmm. talking about Gandhi so much because he figured he had never even read the Wikipedia article on Gandhi. But I just asked, I just asked, <laughs> and that's all Gandhi. you need. Did he so- lie out naked and cover himself? Was that the Gandhi method? Was that the secret to his success? How? What part of the game is this? What is it? Because that's what I think he means. I think he means nonviolent civil disobedience. I think that's what he means. Nonviolent civil disobedience as an idea. If I ask you, if I ask you, dead ass serious, in what ways is the life you're living now modeled on Gandhi? Like maybe you have an answer. I don't think anyone in DXE has an answer. How is it that what you're doing, even including the fundraising, Alpha Do Omega? Look, no, look, I'm I'm honest. I am not trying to live like Gandhi, and I am not trying to die like Gandhi. All right? Like, yeah. don't forget how his life ended. Okay, it came at a price. All right. There's well, nothing and, and, like- and maybe the last person who really followed him, uh Martin Luther King Jr., also uh you know yes. re- and met right. his end in a similar fashion and was the um, you know, followed Mahatma Gandhi very, very closely. And I think uh that was more like it, right? Like, okay, we're going to stand here and 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 throw our uh, throw our bodies on the wheels. So, on so the there are many there are many many asymmetries between the situation of MLK and uh, Martin Luther sorry Martin Luther Jr. and uh, Mohandas Gandhi and the situation vegans are now. When Gandhi made a cross country tour in India, going from town to town and village to village, the range of public opinion that existed in India was either yes. We want independence from the British Empire immediately, or mm-hmm. well, we could go about this gradually and take a few decades. That was it. There, there was basic, there basically zero percent of the population said yes. We would like to continue to be second-class citizens of the British Empire. For aside from the yeah. tiny minority of white people who were actually born in England and were part of the ruling elite there, when you look at it, even the majority of them felt like giving India its independence was inevitable. It's just okay. Do we do we do it now? Do we do it five years from now? Like one way or another, the British Empire. So it was. This is really a, the issue was not even debatable. I mean, I still, well, no, a so lot of the controversy. Very, had... so just very briefly, very briefly, Martin Luther King Jr. I know you've already heard me say this. Martin Luther King Jr. When he went from town to town, from college to college across the United States of America, amongst black people, ninety-nine percent or more of black Americans wanted black mm-hmm. Americans to have the right to vote. Wanted black Americans yeah. to have equal civil rights, equal right to rent an apartment, buy a house. Like there were, it wasn't just voting. There were a number of things they wanted. This was right. not controversial. It wasn't even debate. That is not the situation 
Deacons are in in any way whatsoever. What Gandhi was really uh, lobbying for, fighting for, what Gandhi was fighting for was the position he would be in personally in negotiating the independence of India. That was what he was going for. Not whether or not India would become independent. It really was. It wasn't a war of independence or anything of the kind. The British Empire was on its way out of India. This is already an established fact. Who well, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of the controversy yeah. regarding India and African Americans as second class citizens and Indians as second class citizens in their own right. country. That was, I mean, a lot of that controversy had worked itself out. I mean, like right. public opinion was on both of their sides. That's true, but they had moderates that were kind of gumming up the works. Just like, uh, I mean, Martin Luther King's are the same thing. Like the, the white moderates, the problem. The black clergyman is the is the problem. It's not the it's not the KKK. It's the because they're such a small group it's a large group that's the problem is it's the moderates and so i mean you're, you're right that yeah i mean it's it was less controversial by the time they rolled around but for a hundred years prior it was controversial i mean when england came to india they were still burning wives when uh when their husbands died they were still the caste system yes, was yes. far more extreme they had uh like the english the English made child um, child brides illegal. Like they, the English, it was a it was a colonial force that should never have been there. But some of the things they did modernized India in a way that brought them into a position where Mahatma Gandhi could actually exist. Like that, I don't I don't think that that could yeah, have Ma even Mahan so Mohandas Gandhi. Mohandas is his real first name. Mohandas Gandhi was one hundred percent the product of a British Empire colonial education. He was a lawyer practicing in english yes. and british courts right. of law that is that's absolutely what i mean true. yep yeah, so yeah. like the the, the the his existence wouldn't have been possible without that colonialization right. so it's, it becomes like then they worked out some of the stuff <laughs> that and still there right. was there so, was some controversy I, again like, i'm only saying this Pakistan. i'm only saying this for the audience i'm not saying this to uh attack you in any way in south africa mohandas yes. gandhi's main political campaign most people don't know this was to fight for the right of ethnically Indian people to join yes. the army and fight on the British side in World War I. That was what he wanted. He was complaining that the British army was racist in not allowing them, people like himself, mm -hmm. to volunteer to fight for the British crown. He was ultra pro-empire, ultra pro-military, pro and so on and so forth. So again, this is a man who is now remembered as if he were anti-British empire, and anti-war, anti-virus. Well, and I guess that's what I mean. Like we take the part of his life that are, is inspiring and we right. like to bring it into this vegan movement or any social justice movement. Right. Social social justice. A lie. A fiction. Right. Yes. <laughs> I don't think it's a lie to be inspired by one part of somebody's life. And by because we, we do have peaks and valleys in our lives. We have times when we fail and we have times when we overcome and to be inspired by the stories in which others have overcome, I don't think is, is, is a lie. I think that's, that's frankly why sports exist. I think, I think it's, it's quite human to want to rejoice in someone's um, overcoming uh, what seemingly so, are. Well, I ask this in a lives. totally open way. Do you feel any part of your life right now is inspired by Mohandas Gandhi, like do you, do you feel some connection to it in your own life? Do you feel like do you feel that what you're doing as a vegan or outside of veganism is like Gandhi or is modeled by Byron's profession? 
I would say okay, that's a it's a little complicated. Uh, not complicated. It's a little. Uh, let me hold on. So kind yeah, of maybe you do. Maybe I, you feel some positive connection. Well, I would say kind of, and you're gonna say, well, no, that's not exactly. That's not at all what I meant. But because I I would say that um, veganism and the salt marches, especially where Gandhi could have gone after the English for the his big movement, which was something so humble as to want to make salt because the, the right. English weren't allowing the Indians to make salt. So he did so because he knew that what's on your table is the most controversial thing because to say the sustenance of life, something that's right there that you need to, you need to have every day, three times a day is going to be controversial. It's going to get people up out of their seats. It's going to make some noise. And so we chose that intentionally. Vegans don't necessarily. So, so that is something that I, do relate to because when, when he walked from town to town in India, no, probably 99% of people, even though they didn't care, they supported his. Well, con, yeah, he got 70,000 people to walk with him. No, so, but, I mean, but, also, yeah, but that's India for you. I mean, he, yeah. he was an eccentric holy man doing Brahmanical uh, rituals at every crossroads and at the water. I mean, yeah. he was a religious nutcase, and a lot of religious nutcases follow them. It's a very yeah. different thing. But look, uh, most people, taxes are unpopular at the best of time. So not paying tax on salt is already a popular cause. Oh, gee, stop paying tax on salt. That sounds good. Yeah, but, you know, but, but not, I, so no, my no, point, wait, my wait, point wait, is... Wait, 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 just let me make sense. As he goes from town to town, 99% of people agree with him. When we go from town to town, 99% of people oppose us. You are very likely, pardon, pardon me, you're very lucky to get even 1% support. Yeah. Not even 1% of people support you as you go from town to town. Well, I, I would relate that to Gandhi as well, though, because Gandhi Gandhi and his 70,000 people almost almost wasn't the point. His idea was to wake up the rest of the world through this action by saying this is the this is something that is, is happening on every table on the entire planet. We all need salt. Now, we all need food. And there's something veganism isn't actually about food. And to much to our much to our kind of... Um, yeah, discredit. <laughs> we always talk about diet, and we talk about diet because it everybody has to eat. We could be just as easily be talking about vivisection or or any of these others. And and someone, our, our mutual friend Jay Conroy, I think would say something like, "Go." He would not call me his friend, but go on. <laughs> yeah, I call everyone my friend. Your friend Cosmic <laughs> Septic. Um, yeah. The uh, yeah. So like, uh, I think he would say if he were here. Um, that to take on um, other kind of single issue campaigns like, I don't know, horse carriages or something. Right. And then if you take out that block of animal oppression, then we can go after the next one and get to something like diet. Gandhi went straight for diet. And I think that's what we're doing. And I don't know if it's right or wrong. Um, sometimes I think right. it's a totally well, wrong thing. Fundamentally, from the consumer's perspective, what Gandhi mm. is appealing to is, hey, do you like buying salt? Yes. Wouldn't you like <laughs> to have salt cheaper? Yes. Wouldn't yeah, it be free better so you could make it yourself? Were... Yeah. Wait, no, but, but fundamentally, this is a tax revolt. Wouldn't it be yes. better if the British Empire were not taxing your salt? Yes, I'd like it if salt were half the price it is now, or whatever the actual rate was, or at least twenty percent less. But it would have been a significant. That's all you're getting at, as opposed to an ethically defined movement like veganism which invites people, you know, really to radically reevaluate everything and everyone in their lives. So again, I'm not going after you this way. Uh, are your parents vegan? I mean, like for me, you know, so I think for the vast majority of vegans, 
one of the big breaking points in, in veganism that it leads you to despise your own parents, your own brothers and sisters. A lot of people used to respect those. Now, again, Noam Chomsky may also be an example, maybe someone that you're not related to, but you used to look up to. And now you look at them and think, gee, this guy has like 50 years of making excuses for not being vegan under his belt. A lot mm -hmm. of the major intellectuals of our time do. So again, not necessarily Noam Chomsky, but someone you, you read. Gee, when right. I read this guy's book as a kid, this made sense to me. But looking at it now, so no, I mean, veganism is... It's radical. In some ways, it's humbling. In some ways, it's an ego trip, and it leads you to to reevaluate. It's nothing like cheap salt. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so what is our cheap salt? I guess would be the question. I just think that sometimes I see parallels, and um, with all, not with all, but with certain kind of um, leaders of change and social justice, one must be inspired. One one must look to those examples and try to find some kind of guidance or else why yeah. why do we care about history at all well, i noticed you're talking about one like you know again i'm asking you do you actually find gandhi inspiring and you give an answer it's good it's a good answer it's a good honest answer it's good you know I, i've got to tell you something for me i work without any precedent i don't look mm -hmm. up to mohandas gandhi i look down on him as an utterly despicable human being <laughs> no I, I hate mohandas gandhi to me he's one of the villains of history there's, uh, there's me, parts of him that are deplorable, for sure. I put him in the same category as Adolf Hitler. And when World War II happened, he was on the same side as Adolf Hitler. I remind you, you know what I mean? No, no. Get, Mohandas Gandhi, to me, is one of the villains of history. He's a dis despicable person. No, Napoleon Bonaparte, to me, is a despicable person. I understand other people look up these these historical figures as heroes. And I've got to tell you, so my own, the longer of these two books, uh, this began when I went and read uh, Voltaire. I read, uh, what is the book called? Candide. Yes, yes. I read Candide by Voltaire, which is considered this great literary classic that in some sense inspired the French Revolution or contributed to it. And I, I, to me, I mean, it's just such a badly written book. So this is such horseshit. This is so intellectually self-indulgent. This is of such low quality. I can write a better book than that. And I decided mm. to. So that's, that's a negative inspiration. But no, I, I'm telling you, you know, in the whole history of the world, I have nobody to look up to. I can't look up to Thomas Jefferson. I can't look up to... Uh, uh, any of the so-called founding fathers of the United States of America. I, I'm from Canada. There is nobody, <laughs> the, the history of Canada, there's nobody for me to look up to. So no, I'm, I'm really an example of someone who doesn't, who doesn't make those compromises and also doesn't live with those contradictions. So again, I, I'm not going after you, but I mean, for anyone in the audience who's watching this, I think it's, it's very different to make a statement in the abstract as you just did to say, well, like one must have heroes, one must have models to emulate. You know, no, you don't. You know, that's kind of the same as saying, well, you must have a religion and you must have a God to pray to. You know, no, having no religion really is an option and not praying to anyone is an option. No, I, I think that there's ways to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, one of the monsters of the 20th century, right. Henry Ford, was yes. has as inspirational uh, parts of the things that he accomplished that were very interesting and, and innovative. And I, I, I utterly I, looked down my nose at Henry Ford. He was literally on the same team as Adolf Hitler. I don't know why anyone would have anything positive about Henry Ford. I'm just that, to me, this kind of thing is baffling. Go on, yeah. Because, <laughs> because he did because he did certain things that were groundbreaking as far as uh, as far as bringing in workers, paying them a decent wage so that they could afford to buy his cars, uh, training them how to speak English to be more to to uh to be better efficient better efficiency um he had a brain trust in ways he even though he he understood his own limitations and his own ignorance when it came to engineering and um and surrounded himself 
by with people that um, that were smarter than him in order to you know do something that seemed impossible Lo many things that seemed impossible he he accomplished so I can take that and be like oh well there were some pretty interesting things there and I guess maybe maybe just look at it from again the rosy colored eh, it's not rosy colored because uh but to take someone's whole life especially after they're dead i think it's a little easier because what are you going to do you know i can't hating him in his entirety doesn't help any anything to say like oh well he did a couple things that were really interesting and maybe i can learn some lessons from that why can't i learn lessons from um even even the even the one that you've mentioned a couple times uh good old um adolf I'm sure that there are many lessons that we could learn, but um, we don't have to worship someone who's horrible. I'm not saying that. Yeah. Well, you know? look, I, this is a difference between us. Again, I, I have no enmity towards you for it. I'm not attacking you or criticizing you for it. But no, I, I would never make any of these compromises. And, I'm, and I see no benefit to it. Um, mm. I, I don't think I don't think we want to get into the, the weeds of uh, Henry Ford. But if you make those excuses for Henry Ford today, you would make those excuses for Elon Musk tomorrow. I mean, Elon Musk is very much the Henry Ford of our era. And to me, uh, Elon Musk is a total charlatan. I, I would say the same about Henry Ford. And well, I would probably, you know, it's interesting. Let me say that, that sense of Elon Musk. But Elon Musk, I mean, he has a multi-million dollar advertising campaign behind him at all times and public relations team to try mm -hmm. to make him seem brilliant. But as soon as you scratch the surface on that, uh, the very real stupidity and immorality beneath it is exposed. And, and then the same is true with Henry Ford. Okay, go you uh, no, I mean, I was going to switch gears and ask you why uh, you pronounce why why do you pronounce PETA incorrectly? <laughs> the hard hitting questions. You know, it's because ethical starts with that hard a eh sound. Eh. People I, I know that a eh is something Canadians like to say a lot. Eh. People for the ethical treatment of animals. So it's not people for the ethical tre treatment of animals. Then it would be PETA. So, so I say PETA, inconsistent with the with what it is initializing. That's my my preferred pronunciation. So there you go. But it's <laughs> because 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 the, the the common the common pronunciation yeah. by the person who 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 created yeah. it. You're like Look, I don't need it. I'll tell you something. Gary Francione, Gary Francione can't pronounce his own name. Wayne Siong <laughs> can't pronounce his own name. So this is a pattern, and the founder of PETA can't pronounce PETA. So there you go. This is a recurring. I don't know what it is about vegans and not being able to pronounce their own name. You tell me. Well, I think that an acronym you could pronounce any way you want. I don't uh, think. Um, thank you. Thank you for. <laughs> you thank you for the, you that point. I don't think I would call it the FBI though, because <laughs> the in, in FBI. You should the start. Yeah, Federal the, Bureau, the Federal of, Bureau investigation. of Investigation. You got to point the FBI. Yeah, the FBI. Yeah, yeah, right. You um, <laughs> the CIA, I guess, would be uh, another one. It's just such a such a weird line to draw in the sand, Isil. Like, no, nope, it's it's Peta. No, nope. yeah. yeah, it's ethical. so. Look, I think though, but this is a segue, but it relates to both what we we're talking about before, and I think we'll talk about next. But look, you know. I think you've you've had a change in your your view towards Wayne Siong on this within the last two weeks or the last two months or something. I mean, I think you had Wayne Siong in this category, like Henry Ford, 
or you were kind of making excuses for him and everything wrong with him, what have you, for the sake of what you perceive to be his importance. This is, this is what kind of sucks is that like, you get accused you get accused for making excuses for someone. I'm right. not, I'm, I'm not accusing you. I'm, I'm trying to ask that in a neutral way. But go on. Ahead. I am not making excuses for anybody because the, the the crimes, any crimes that they that they commit, they should be punished for and and scorned for at the very least, and you know posthumously. But um, I don't think that. Right. Um, well, okay, not, look, I, I don't think I don't think by saying, saying right. Henry Ford was a horrible person who committed crimes, right. and therefore anything that he accomplished in his life is now um, is now up. It should be disregarded completely, and that to me is a bit a bit of a sledgehammer approach. When um, maybe when when dissecting the past, maybe we should use a couple more, maybe a scalpel. Well. Um... Uh, crime is an interesting category to, to work with them. Wayne Siong. So I first started criticizing Wayne Siong over eight years ago now. Yeah. I, I didn't accuse him of being a criminal. I thought that what he was doing was stupid and ineffective and counterproductive and vain and in bad taste. Mm. Now, let, let me point out, I have never said that what he's done with Cassie King is a crime. I've never said anything. I've never been in criminal allegations on any level of any of the things he's done with Cassie King. Um, but, but I could rattle off those same things. At a minimum, we have to agree this is in bad taste. And anyone can look right now at the thumbnail that's number one on my channel. There she is laid out in revealing a tire covered with blood. This, is, this is in bad taste. Go on. But, sorry, and, and in terms of the stupidity, just reading Wayne's own work, reading his philosophy. I've also heard him verbally state his philosophy in lectures. Mm -hmm. But you can read it on the written page in black and white. I think it's really important to say this is stupid. Now, again, whether it's Henry Ford or uh, Noam Chomsky, but you see, that's not crime. I'm not talking about criminal activities. And in, in terms of the currently popular uh, pseudo-utilitarian pseudo-philosophy, I'm not even saying it harms anyone. I mean, Ultimately, yes, we can talk about the harm that's done by this. But some things are worth criticizing for being stupid, ineffective, counterproductive, or just even in bad taste. Go on. Well, I've said, so, you know, uh, I, I think everyone should be criticized, scrutinized. Uh, and if they can't be, then we shouldn't be following anyone who can't be scrutinized, especially because of what we've learned from history, that if we follow these people, these flawed individuals, right. um, what will happen? And, uh, and I also think that it, for a movement that begs for legitimacy to have anything kind of threaten that legitimacy is i think um kind of a bummer uh wayne's young is in jail uh yes. i don't know i don't and, know and zoe is ever... next and zoe's zoe's next and zoe's kind of uh i think zoe might see more time than more, more time than he than he has yep. um I think I probably think, because they'll, they'll recycle all of the arguments and evidence already right. entered into court record from the earlier case. Yep. It wouldn't surprise me that the reason why he only got 90 days was because he also agreed to testify against uh, Zoe Rooster. I think that Ooh, that is something that, that, that shots fired. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know about that going yet. Well, that, that's also a question. I mean, she's certainly defended herself against it, but that's a question with Cassie King where her charges dropped for, for what we know her charges were dropped, but we don't know why. Was it in exchange for something or for, for some unseen reason? But we don't know. Why. It's just speculation. I, I've never heard of – I know he's under probation and that cops will make sure that you can't talk to your co-conspirators or um, yep. your criminal buddies during during your probation. So it's a two-year's probation. So in those two years, he won't be able to talk to like 14 of his friends. 
um, whatever. I, I, I just, uh, the whole thing with Zoe, I think is very sad. When I, that video that you posted of her as such a young woman made me, I mean, she was not, she was just a little girl when yep. she was, and, yep. and now she, and she's admitted to doing all these trespasses and doing all of these things. Melissa and I today were trying to remember what we were like at 12 years old. And I know she's saying, but it was hard. It was like 12 years old. Was I playing Sega Master System or Sega Genesis? And I actually got it yeah, wrong. Yeah, it's like, what grade like, was that? Like, right. I mean, trying to remember how childish I was at 12 and what it would trying be. Trying to remember like what color my bike was and shit. Well, yeah. How immature I was was basically how I was, I was yeah. trying to remember. And, and then to apply that to the situation she was in when she first got involved with Direct Action Network. Yeah. And I think that because I grew up in a violent home and I, and I, I always, always, always looking for some kind of mentor. I, I know that like looking back now, how, how, how hungry I was for like some kind of uh, father figure outside the home. Yeah. If I, if I had been taken under wing by someone who's going to use me in their crusade, uh, I would have been just as likely right. to be, you know, incarcerated or, you know, worse uh, well, I think this is the difference between me and you and me and the majority of people. I had a bad and absent father in many ways, uh, but I didn't respond to that by looking for someone else to be my father figure. I instead developed an insight into the extent to which all father figures will, were bullshit. Yeah. It's like, hey, my father's a bad guy and there's really nothing I can learn from him. But that's also true of all these other middle-aged men. And I would say that was true also generally of ideologies and religion. It's like, oh, well, my parents' religion, communism, is bad. But instead of looking to kind of replace it with something else to believe in, developing yeah. a critique or suspicion of, well, it looks like all beliefs and all. So, I mean, I, I, whether that's luck or, uh, or virtue on my part. I think, I think I had a similar a similar experience, except it was more like authority as a yes. as something that that can be. They're they're not as smart, they're not right. as well read, they're not as thoughtful. So what gives them authority over me? I've already had a tyrant at home. There's nothing yeah. that they're going to do to me that's going to embarrass me further or make me feel worse. So I just I kind of had a, a no fucks given when it came to any kind of. I wasn't I wasn't like um someone who would immediately challenge authority, but I kind of disregarded anyone's claim for right. of, of, of authority, any teacher, any pr principal. And it gave me a confidence that, um, that most kind of will now, now will look up to, but it was hard won. It wasn't something that, and, and often to, <laughs> to my detriment, something that was really bad for me many times um, because they want someone that goes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep. And I can play that when someone shows me their, their badge um megan schultz keeps on uh this troll wayne stole and he is now paying for it thank god uh, wayne megan schultz is not even a vegan and uh, she hates good old and now i'm a tyrant says megan schultz i don't know what she means by that but um a tyrant for saying please don't harm animals but Megan Schultz, this is a channel for vegans. You are now banned. Thank you. Um, I just want to jump back to something we were talking about, something you were saying all of five minutes ago. Um, you know, it's just not the case that all leaders are equally bad or all ideologies are equally bad or all philosophies are equally bad. You know, now I'm not going to get into Henry Ford and Adolf Hitler and Mohandas Gandhi. <laughs> Staying within the, the current state of the vegan movement. Um you know, you can read Wayne Siong's sort of most respectable, 
most academic writing about the vegan movement. And if you're smart enough, you can figure out that this will ruin your life. It's not obvious, not on the surface, it's not bristling with radicalism. But, you know, and he says, oh, well, this is established by the facts of social science research as a certain veneer of respectability. But the reality is, if you become a follower of Wayne Siong, you end up like Rachel Ziegler. And Rachel Ziegler today says that she was a member of a cult for eight years and the cult ruined her life. Now, I am direct competition for Wayne Siong. And my book costs one dollar which is much, much less expensive than the books published by people like Earthling Ed other, or, or Gary Francione or anyone else. It's $1 on Amazon because I'm actually not trying to make money out of the vegan movement. It's you know, To this day, nobody has ever written into me saying, hey, I believed in your philosophy. I became a follower of your philosophy and it ruined my life. I'm going to tell you something. Nobody ever will. Yes. It's never going <laughs> to happen. Now, again, so, so, you know, I know this is kind of weird boast, but I think it really does matter. And now we've seen several different waves of veganism come and go just within the last 10 years. You know, one of the warnings I was giving people again and again about Freely Enduring Rider is this philosophy, you personally, in becoming a devotee and becoming a follower, this will ruin your life. Now, again, that's not the only thing that matters. And some people may be overwhelmed with a sense of self-sacrifice and the, the higher stakes, whether they think of those ecological stakes global warming or in terms of the millions of deaths of animals per day, there are people who will consciously commit to a self-destructive path. And that is, you know, in my most recent video, I show Wayne Siong preaching that. Wayne Siong is saying there's nothing more noble than to go to prison. You know, like I've got, I've got direct quotations of him glorifying going to prison as, quote, a rite of passage, close quote. You yeah, know, I know. That, he's just... Right. But I'm just saying, it is not the case. I can't say to you, yeah, well, you know, uh, all leaders are bad. All leaders are bad. No, you know, you, you've you've got a choice. And sorry, just Rachel Ziegler to keep with that particular person. What yeah. if eight years ago Rachel Ziegler had heard my critique of Wayne Siong and had just gotten some distance from it? I mean, she she could have become my devotee and my follower. But even if not, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. I mean, her whole life would there. It's not just that her whole life would be better today. There is a better person she could be today if she had come under my influence instead of Wayne Siong, or if she had just used my influence to balance out and shed some kind of critical angle, raise some doubts about the philosophy of Wayne Siong. That's my pitch, bro. Uh, but the philosophy <laughs> of Wayne Siong, okay, but the philosophy of Wayne Siong is not the philosophy of veganism. I, I mean, I agree, but go on. Yeah. But it's just, more just, powerful and influential, but go on. Yeah, right. He's he's powerful, influential right now, but I mean, right. I don't think most people most people who are praying at his altar um, heard about him six months ago. They heard about right. him a year ago. I, I, I totally, heard about I him totally for agree. the first time maybe five years ago. I totally agree. But so, look, within within the vegan movement today, I mean, you know the alternatives. Paul Bashir, like I mean, it's yeah. pretty pathetic. I mean, you know, one of the reasons Wayne Siong is I can refer to him as one of the most powerful people in the movement today is, is Gary Francione is you know might as well be dead. And he's retired. Mm. He's old news. He's used up. He's a burnt and he's, match. And he's, and he's saying and he's saying creepy shit about trans. And he's doing weird things with that. So I, yeah, honestly, I haven't I haven't heard a peep out of the guy in here. I I, I reviewed his book and what. But well, he's retired. I mean, he, he's allowed to retire. Like to be fair, Gary Urovsky, a much younger man, is also retired. You know, Gary Urovsky yeah. is also in nutcase. But you, yeah, most of the would be leaders have already. They're already burnt matches that have already come and gone. So yeah, you know, it's true. He is not the only person in the game. But he is a person who founded an organization that has $4 million in assets 
that spends approximately one million U.S. dollars a year. That is real money. I know rap yeah. groups that don't spend a million dollars a year and influence the whole. Look at the history of reggae music. How did Bob okay, Marley but- get started? How did Rastafarianism? Rastafarianism did not start with four million dollars in the bank and a one million dollar. <laughs> it is, it is important. Go on, yeah. I mean, I mean, turning vegan. He said, "I didn't even know him until he went to uh, right until now when he's going to prison." I mean, right. this is when this is what I mean. I mean, I don't think he says, uh, "Have you built a movement?" It's not really a fair comparison. Well, you don't have to build a movement in yeah. order to. So, uh, so to I have a very simple answer for you, probably. Which yes, and my movement and so- is better than Wayne Young's movement. And my movement doesn't consist of brainwashed teenagers like Cassie King and Zoe Rosenberg. Yes, you know, sure. I mean, like, what do you expect from me? False humility? Like, do you think I look back at what I did with the last 10 years of my life and think that what I did is worse than Wayne Seong in any way? No. I mean, I'm sorry, but I look at Wayne Seong as a totally despicable person. I look at direct action everywhere as a totally failed movement. And it's very important to say it's a failure in its own terms by its own standards, not just by mine. But no, I'm sorry, I do not. Do you think I look back the last 10 years and think, boy, you know, if only I had gotten a bunch of sexy teenagers and had them run out onto the middle of a sports field to get arrested for disturbing the... Gee, gee, that's better than what I did with my life in the last 10 years. No. I mean, look at Rachel Ziegler and the reality of, of her life. No, I don't. I mean, I don't have these regrets. I mean, I do have some regrets in life. But no, when I hold up Wayne Seong's uh, uh, life next to mine, and when I hold up his movement next to mine, and when I hold up his influence next to mine in the vegan movement, you know, again, in so the last 10 years, cumulatively, I am also one of the most influential people in the vegan movement because my competition is really pathetic. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I have absolutely no regrets in the sense. I mean, uh, the, the competition is, is is yeah, pretty slim. Yeah. I mean, you, you do have people like Ingrid Newkirk still. Yes. And you still yeah. have people who are out there. Um, Ingrid Newkirk is the same generation as Gary Francione. Like, I totally agree. She's still alive. I get it. But yeah, it it is a different generation. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, she went she went vegan. I think I think Gary Francione actually went vegan because of dinner with Ingrid Newkirk, right? They were they were how that went. They they got involved more or less simultaneously. And uh, Gary Francione, whenever he tells his own origin story, he very much describes him as branching off from PETA, and he was there at the first meeting. Where people exchanged phone numbers, and that was in effect yeah. the meeting of Peta. It was like, like it was yeah, it was like a dinner, home. and like I think I think Peter Singer was actually there, and they were all at a dinner or yes. something, and they all like yeah. I, I forget if Peter Singer was at the same dinner or not, but he was he was around. I think at the he same was time. because like and, and um, the, the official reason. This comes back to your experience with Roger Yates. The official reason why uh, he rejected Peta, the reason why Francione rejected Ingrid Newkirk, was sexy women in bikinis. That was the breaking point. He said, no, there's no way I can be involved with a political movement that has women in bikinis. Yeah, well, yeah, a political movement because it's really funny to me, that whole ladies in bikinis thing. And by the way, they they yeah. they shy away from that so much now because they're because oh, yeah. they respond to that. Like they want to still get the press, but they're not willing to get the hate when it comes to. You know, right. well, it was women in bikini. By the way, um, this is not totally. They used to, they used to give the sexiest vegan of the year a reward. Yeah, what they happened were. to? Why is the left the sexless weirdos I know. now? What happened? No. Like, what happened to free love and and sex positivity? I mean, we, it wasn't we that long ago. YouTuber. We met up with a vegan YouTuber face to face in New Orleans. Do you remember her name, babe? Natalie. Okay, so you know her also. You also know Natalie to some extent. Natalie from New Orleans. Uh, we yeah, met up with a face to face, 
And we were talking about stand-up comedy. We were there to see stand-up comedy, and Melissa and I are involved in stand-up comedy in various ways. And I, I may boast that I am myself a stand-up comedian. As little as the, if, if this is your first time seeing me on video, you might have not guessed that I have a sense of humor. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things I said to her was right now, so I, in the year 2023, there is no comedy on the left. Like, it's not that you have to be right wing to be in comedy, but you have to be at least kind of in the center or right of center. Because anything left of center, comedy itself has become impossible. We've really seen that. Go, go on, but I just say, like, that's how... And yes, it's partly sexual dysfunction, and it's partly racial identity dysfunction, and it's... Yeah. It's weird, because really I feel awesome. like even in Vegas, where, like, they mm. are the pretty racy... And I used to run a comedy club. I managed no the beverage department. Yeah, yeah, the uh, Brad Garrett Comedy Club in Las Vegas. Was <laughs> wow, all right, I know it. Okay, go on. Yeah, yeah so, so uh, were you, like, a I venue manager, the... or were you, were you like... Yeah, go on. I was a beverage department, so okay. uh, I was okay. the money guy. I was the one who made all the money for beverage. Yes, <laughs> these days no, no, it's, it's a little bit different. It's but, crucially uh, important, but that's different yeah. from doing the venue management, where you actually decide who goes. Right, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't oh, like yeah. book. I didn't know the bookings. Yeah. I got, that was yeah. actually Paul, that was actually Paul, who was Brad Garrett's half brother, yeah. and he uh, R.I.P. But he, um, well, uh, well, yeah. Well, it, I want to mention this because maybe we can get organized. I am friends with a vegan, and her name is Maggie. Some people know what I'm talking about because she's also a YouTuber. But she did venue side management for a stand-up comedy club for seven years, I believe. And that's mm. long enough to know. So if the three of us got together, we might actually get something going. I'm on be honest, I forget what city that was in. I forget if it was Chicago or Boston, one of the major American cities. But she did well, venue what I meant side to say is seven years. Oh, yeah. Even in Vegas, where it's like it yeah. is more raunchy and more sexy and right. all that, it even there, they're like backing away from any of yep. this like sexy pirates or anything. And I'm like when did it become a sin to be sexy? I find yeah. that bizarre. Um, yeah. and, and I, and, and just kind of disheartening. Uh, Yurovsky put down PETA for that as well. It's just so stupid. Says trapped in the matrix. Well, uh, the falling out between Yurovsky and PETA was quite famous. And these days they don't say yes. bad things. Yes, 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 they yes. have a, um, they have a divorce where they neither, neither talks about, but my, my um, girlfriend yeah. is from Detroit. And I mean, Yurovsky is just, come on. A piece of shit. I mean, you know, I hate Peta too. I hate everyone. I hate them. But come on, Yurovsky is yeah. uh, irredeemable. Yurovsky well, <laughs> uh, got in trouble because of threats of violence and and violent outbursts at his uh, speeches and things. And um, but you know, um, so people he, he find what those... I have to say about Israel offensive. But I mean, Yurovsky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yurovsky, yeah. He, but that that I think happened if more he after Jewish, he would be a nice. Right? Let's be honest with you. <laughs> after after his PETA day, I, I think is when he. But like the greatest speech and all that, those were that was a PETA speech. That was a PETA tour. Yep, that yep, was a college yep. tour that he we, did with PETA. So we've I mean, never met him face to face, but when we're in Detroit, uh, which is because we have to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's here. We show up places. It was like, oh hey, you know Gary Rowski was here just two days ago. So he's still he's still around. I mean, you can still he's meet still the living fossil. Yes, yes, great. I, great uh, Detroit area. I, I don't know if he's in the suburbs, but yeah, because when, when you're from Detroit, that, that's particular. That's like saying you're from downtown LA. Now, downtown yeah. LA is one part of it. So if you're from yeah. Detroit, that means that means Detroit. So yeah, yeah. if I would assume. <laughs> Well, where do you what what neighborhood do you think he's from? You want to guess his hood? What, what Ferndale? <laughs> Royal Oak. Ferndale. I'm just saying, I doubt Royal he's Oak. From, he's from 
the, the stabbing of Detroit. I went to Royal Oak while I was there. Yeah. Both, I mean, both I and Gary Rovsky are rappers. Let me just add. And, and I would just say, with no false humility, I am indeed a better rapper than Gary Rovsky. He was more of a slam lower, guys. Right? If yeah. you, like, no, no. If you just Google, if you put into YouTube anytime, Gary Rovsky rapping, you can hear. He did a several rap albums. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he rap. It's, yeah. And <laughs> I will say he was Eminem is, before Eminem. It is, <laughs> it is not much of a boast to say that I'm a better rapper than Gary Rovsky. But it's a boast, and I'm I'm Gary Yarosky is like the white Eminem. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, so, his his rap it's it's social justice rap. So, yeah, social like justice that. rap that's, that sounds a lot. Uh, sounds fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, but okay. So, but back to the. Um, <laughs> but you didn't know this. I'm teaching. I mean, this is educational. I mean, come on. I, I, knew, I didn't know you this something was, you don't already know about veganism. This is, this is I nothing. didn't know that he had an album. I knew he was a slam poet, and mm -hmm. I, I knew that the first time I heard him speak, I was like, "This guy sounds like a slam poet." Yeah, and then right. I, yeah, and then I googled him, and I'm like, "Oh, that delivery is so." In fact, I watched on a Carnism debunked um, George Martin. He uh, he posted uh, the part of a speech from Yurovsky today and it's like it's hard for me to watch I I love his message and I love that how much he did for for the movement and everything but it's like oh that delivery never spoke to me I know other people love it but it's just it just was never for me you know yeah uh, uh, you know my catchphrase is money fame power respect sex not necessarily <laughs> in that order do you know you know where the money behind Gary Yurovsky came from he was a supply teacher in the Detroit area, which is not mm. a very highly paid position. He was a fill-in supply teacher. And then all of a sudden, he had a bottomless budget to travel all around the world. You you know you know the secret? What's the secret? I, I thought it, I knew it, the secret. the drummer from Queen. Was it, I think That's Brian May is his name? It's, it, you, so Queen, the rock band. Yeah, yeah Brian. This, this crazy guy who, uh, he is actually not vegan. He believes in drinking... Uh, sacred cow milk he only drinks milk from sacred hindu cows that are raised in a special ashram so he's not vegan but he has given a huge amount of money to quite a number of eccentric vegan causes and has changed the movement. so again I, i'm i'm for one thing it's interesting that i'm telling you something you don't know you are an extremely that well, one I didn't know. well well and i'm sorry i'm sorry I'm, maybe he's not the drummer maybe he's the guitarist from queen I, i'm a rap person i only listen to hip-hop music yeah. anyway one of the members of queen and not the vocalist who's deceased but anyway uh whether it's one of the guitarists or the or the drummer or the bass i sorry i don't know queen like that but he is a um he is i guess a white Queen's guitarist brian may that's yeah. him that's him so he was the guitar okay not the drummer <laughs> anyway so the uh the guitarist from queen he decided the fate of gary rovsky and made him into this major celebrity and provided him with the means to, to, he said for years that his dream was to go and preach the vegan message, but he couldn't because he was poor and lived, survived as a, as a part-time supply teacher in Detroit. And then this donor stepped up and made his dreams come true. So this is also an important pattern in veganism that nobody wants to question. Now, I don't know where the money comes from behind direct action everywhere. There's a sense in which I know, I know what they do in terms of soliciting donations and what have you, but there may also, there may be one or two people I know that in their first year, Ingrid Newkirk herself was the most important donor. She gave them a big chunk of money, mm -hmm. which is interesting about Ingrid. 
But there were definitely people who now turned to Ingrid and say, look, this whole fucking thing with Wayne Siong and DXE, it never would have happened without you stuffing money in their pocket. That they're, you know, I, I, I think that was in the first year, but if not, it was the first uh, two years. When, yeah, I mean, she, yeah. I mean she's, she gave, she gave uh, Gary Orofsky his first like $20,000 yes. or whatever it was. I remember that. that that's, I, that's I, know, I know she put him on stage. I've never yeah. seen a price tag, but she facilitated his rise to fame too. Yes. I think whatever his original organization is has has the story about how that went down. I forget what right. it's called, um, but it'll even I forget what it's called right now. But he kind of like ran out of money and the, he had to leave. Yep. He needed money, so he wanted to keep it going. Um, but I guess like, do you still think there's um, hmm, the ve the vegan movement ruined your life? It's run by it's run by it's run by someone. You think the most powerful me member of the movement and spokesperson of the movement is a charlatan and a criminal? <laughs> what? Yeah, um, it's been a succession of charlatans, but yeah, I mean, a you succession know. of charlatans, uh, a, a a a a rogues gallery of charlatans yes. and criminals. Right, right, right. So, so look, but we go is there the, hope but, for the? Think, is there any? Yeah, I think James is Aspie it, is another great example. I mean, James Aspie himself isn't aware of the extent to which he's a charlatan. You know what I mean? Like, I think James Aspie is a really great example. But go on. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a lot of guys like, I mean, James Aspie, Durian Ryder. Uh, these guys are charlatans. Sure. Durian Ryder's still around. He still does, yep. like, a video right. every day, I think. I mean, he's, like, got a quarter million. Uh, but his, his power and influence has been totally broken and, and destroyed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I don't he's understand. He's been discredited. So, yeah. What, yeah. Discredited in what way? I don't. I don't understand. Like how he got discredited. I don't know that, that story. I guess it was yeah. me. I had everything to do with it. So no, no. I mean, I, I was. I was really the catalyst in that. I my criticism of him was really the only criticism of him on the internet. Now I could here put in a footnote and mention just a couple of other people. So just to give credit, uh, Savvy mm -hmm. Menka, who is now ex-vegan and anti-vegan and eats some kind of crazy carnivore diet. She criticized him also. And there was just one video by Unnatural Vegan that criticized them. And it's a it's a very poor video. Everyone remembers that video with rose-colored glasses, but it really doesn't nail down any of the points. And I remember when I stepped out, I was actually talking to a natural vegan a little bit at that time with a little bit of communication. It was like, well, when you go back and rewatch your video, it doesn't really make the point. So I stepped up as really the uh, critic of Doreen Ryder and Freely. So my videos had a huge impact. And everyone saw them. Everyone was talking about them. And again, before me, those two other people were talked about to some extent. But my, my, my style was a lot more uh, hard-hitting. And then I went to Chiang Mai, Thailand at the same time that Durian Ryder were freely and freely were there. And it was also coincidentally exactly when Durian Ryder and Freely were going through their divorce, so to speak. They weren't legally married, but they were, you know, they had been together for many years. So they were yelling at each other and they were yelling at me. And uh, their whole, they massively discredited themselves within the movement to a huge extent. And it all fell apart. And of course, it put a huge spotlight on my critique of them. And it showed the reality of who they were ethically, intellectually, and otherwise. And when I say and otherwise, that includes also their actual dietary advice being wildly unscientific and violating the laws of chemistry and physics. Go on. Yeah. Well, I mean, all these all these nutritionists anyway, I always have a, a kind of a I don't really like that whole tack, to be honest. Right. But I guess I guess what I was trying to lead you, I was in my um, circuitous route to the question was, is there is there hope for a vegan movement? And you know, because no. I think I think, <laughs> and, and I think that's why a lot of people might even call you an ec, uh, not not a um, an anti-vegan, or um, because how how do we how do we save the movement? How do we how do we do something that is? Um, do you think do you think the Navajo Indians have a chance of becoming a separate country? 
The Navajo Indians. Now look, now look. My point is this: if you if you want to do something to help the Navajo Indians, these are indigenous people in the United States. They're yeah. commonly called Indians, but it's nothing to do with Indians. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you uh, want to help the Navajo people and the Navajo language, that has to begin with a recognition that separatism, having a separate nation state, is impossible. Has already failed. It's not going to happen. So that doesn't have to be the end of the discourse. We can now start having a really productive and interesting discourse. What can we do? And let's say I'm not going to live forever. What can we do within the next five years, next 10 years? Like I don't, I don't really want to talk about 500 years. Okay, so what is the future for the Navajo people? Now, I'll just give you one example. I could talk about this one. But obviously one thing you could do is having a school, a language school, right? That's different from an army and a revolution, right? But we can start mm. to come to an understanding of what the productive, positive things we can do are when we begin with the recognition of what we, what we can't do. You know, so the most important difference is the one you can make, not the difference you can't make. So I see my own philosophy as fundamentally very positive and hopeful and encouraging in this way. You sound like Francione, just a bit more hateful. I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> you sound no, like a hateful Francione. I really have nothing in common with Francione. But, you know, the, the, the point is this. You do. The fact that people are shocked a... by my willingness to admit the things we can't accomplish. You can't make in contrast to a lot of propaganda claims. Because a, a lot of these, I've just heard this out of Zoe's mouth and I've just heard this out of Cassie's mouth. Because I, I was doing background research and making my own videos about this. I saw Zoe uh, Rosenberg say that before she joined Direct Action Everywhere, she thought that a vegan world was 500 years away or many hundreds of years away. But now that she's joined DXE, now that she's joined this cult, uh, she realizes that equal rights for animals can be accomplished in one lifetime. Uh, you, you tell us, you can hear this out of a lot of the... Uh, you will not call I, it lifetime. I mean, an AI it, model just said that... An AI model just said by 2075, we'll all have, right. a, we'll have a more or less vegan world. I have, I have heard Wayne Siong make the argument deadpan serious in an interview before he went to prison, but not that long before. I, I think it was the last one year. Maybe I'm wrong. Sorry. It was pretty, pretty recent, that interview. A year, year and a half ago or something. And he sits there and says, oh, yeah, when you look at the numbers... Oh, it's inevitable that we're going to win. Oh, by 2050, a majority of people will support equal rights for animals. I noticed he didn't say veganism. You know, like, oh, no, when you just look at the, oh, no, the social science facts there. Oh, easily, our side is winning. No, no. And you know well, what? His, his side you know is animal welfare. The only question is whether or not the Navajo language will go extinct. We are talking about the end game to cultural genocide for the Navajo and for the Cree and for the Ojibwe. Like, why don't we start with recognizing the reality of our situation? And then there are positive things we can do. But, you know, as opposed to starting with selling people a dream and a lie. And well, a well I think that's what it, no, I think, I think that he's, he's a, uh, he's a welfareist first and foremost. And that's something yeah. that when he says like, well, yeah, welfare for animals is something that we can easily accomplish. Yeah. I think we could easily accomplish welfare for animals. I think that's right around the corner that we'll be treating animals more nicely okay, but you, while you still think, eating them. So, so boiling a crustacean alive, boiling a lobster alive, you think that's going to be illegal? I think, uh, I think I think fishing them will be more uh, tightly regulated. No, no, because no. Lobsters are sold to restaurants live. Yes, they They're are. They're boiled alive. Yeah. Now, the European Union, to my knowledge, is the only jurisdiction in the world that recognizes that this is cruelty and should be yeah. – they very vaguely stated it should somehow be avoided or minimized. Mm -hmm. or well, There's no law. It's just been recognized in writing, you know. Um, and they have, believe it or not, the EU has a permanent committee. I don't think Wayne's talking about lobsters when he's talking no, no, about no. what. I, this is the easiest. All right. Now, I could give you other examples. There are. Do you think 
Do you think that bullfighting is going to be illegal? Do you think that horse racing is... Do you think that having a pet dog living in a fucking three-square-foot apartment in downtown Manhattan is going to be legal? No, there are all kinds of examples you give that are way harder. Well, they to did just ban the rodeo in Los Angeles uh, yesterday or today. They just did the. Uh, Look, I mean, maybe you are an optimist. Maybe you think this is coming within your lifetime. I'm not. Okay, I, I, I just, I have absolutely no expectation that even boiling a lobster alive will ever be illegal. That that will ever be something wiped out. Uh, well, sorry, I can't say forever. We're talking about a thousand years, but within the next twenty years. Well, we there is absolutely no chance about it. We're looking at. So okay, it's a very strict test. Go on. But yeah. that's like say we're not we're not are we are we ever going to get rid of slavery on a global scale? Probably not. But when we when we encounter slavery, we look upon it with scorn and we try to root it out. And I so, think that something something like the boiling lobsters alive. I'm not being will... hostile towards you at all. But I think no, this no, is the I most don't think, important part of this interview. This way. is the most important part. The most important part is when people say to you, "Oh." Veganism can, can can succeed just like Mohandas Gandhi, Gandhi and the independence movement. Veganism can succeed just like Martin Luther King. And now you've raised abolition of slavery. Okay, in what way are any of these comparable to the situation of veganism in 2023? We already talked about I'm two saying, of the three. And no, I'm saying on, I'm yeah. saying that slavery has not been yeah. abolished. We have we, but when we when we encounter it, we don't look at it like it's normal now. We look at it with, with disdain. Almost, almost as uh, universally, and so now, I and, and so I do think in the future people will start looking. I think already it's happening. People are looking at the boiling lobsters alive with a different eye. People don't look at it like they used to. I worked in restaurants for twenty something years. In the beginning, right. people laughed when they cut open a lobster or because uh, there's two right. ways, right? No one ever talks about the other. They bifurcate the animal right. and then put him on the flat top French grill. And while his legs are still moving or they'll yep. boil him alive. And people would laugh at, with glee as they watched it happen. Yep. And then fast forward to one something. Descaling years. fish is another example of that where fish are put alive into a descaler. It's horrible yes. pain and suffering. Yep. For no yes, reason. Yes, exactly. Yep. And now, and now today they look at it. Holy shit. People are actually giving a shit. Even though people who eat the lobsters are like going, no, nah, not that. No, not that. I mean, I re during, during the pandemic, we had a lobster in the freezer in the, in the cooler because we they sold live lobsters at the restaurant that I worked right. at, and I'm like, what are we gonna do with these lobsters? Put them in the ocean. The ocean's right there, and like they're right. not gonna make it. They're they're gonna die. Right. It, it's 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 better for the animal to die die in a cold. He's in a, he's in stasis, and he'll die cold. He'll eventually die that way, um, more peacefully. And we had that conversation with a chef. So I think. I don't think that conversation would happen have happened 20 years ago. They would have just thrown them in the garbage and then dumped them in the dumpster. And that's see what I'm saying is only that we will see a world in our lifetimes where almost universally people look at boiling a lobster alive as unseemly and disgusting. You know? I, I totally disagree. I mean so just very quick, you know, I know these are I mean, all comparisons are odious, but you know, my grandparents' generation, not my parents, but my grandparents' generation, they thought they were living through the death of organized religion. They thought, oh, the barbarity of Islam from the Dark Ages, like generally across Arabia, people are going to become more highly educated, more literate. Now, again, they didn't even imagine cell phones, but they knew technology. I mean, in some parts of the world during my grandparents' generation, the light bulb was new. The, the availability yeah. of the newspaper was new. Newspapers already existed, but newspapers were now available in third world countries. Right. That they weren't, right. okay. Everyone's becoming more literate, more highly educated. 
okay, how about ISIS? You know, like the reality is, you, you know, no, you know, religion is, to use a word Muslims are quite fond of, perennial. You know, this isn't going to go away. And you now have highly educated Islamic fundamentalists who have cell phones and internet access and literacy. I mean, like the level, the level of education sophistication of Muslim fundamentals today is much higher than it was in my grandparents' uh, generation. But the excuses they live with, the faith they live with remains the same. So, you know, now look, I, I'm just being real with you. I think the sample size you're dealing with is biased. I think over time, you've probably just dealt with more and more intellectually sophisticated people in, in restaurant work. I think, well, I think that, that's the possible, attitudes like... you, you, you describe, I think they still exist in restaurants today. And I think they're perennial. I think for our children and grandchildren, there will be people working in less restaurants who laugh at the suffering of lobsters and laugh at the suffering of fish and ridicule the one vegan on staff who's concerned about it. But, you know, but I, I, I get it, though. With time, you've worked with better people and, but also the global trend when it comes to things like um fundamental religious uh, religious religiosity is is that actually things are becoming more secular no one gives a shit about jesus christ during christmas like like they used to it's just not it's just not in vogue i don't think religions i think religions days are numbered and i think that there's this is kind of the um so the reckoning I, share the no, I share no optimism about this whatsoever i i am a hardcore atheist i'm a nihilistic atheist but you know i posted instagram recently I, it was a week or two ago but not that long ago maybe three weeks ago i posted the charts for global meat consumption but i think you know this no global meat consumption has gone up and up and up and up, up. yeah and it's not going down now, it's not going down within the United States of America and so on either. It's, it's really not. Now, I've made several comparisons to this. One interesting comparison is cigarette smoking. Another interesting comparison is abortions. So you've had this abortion movement, which uses many of the same tactics as direct action everywhere. It's not identical, but I mean, I, I raised this because in some ways, abortion activism is an important comparison to, to vegan activism. And when you when you look at the outcomes, the, the single most effective method of reducing the rate of abortions per capita in America is immigration. Guess what? Hardcore Catholics Catholics from Latin America, like people who are immigrants from Nicaragua, don't get abortions or get yeah. fewer per capita than white people. Guess what? Chinese people, Chinese immigrants, they also don't like getting abortions. Like, you know, a lot of the East Asian immigrants have very low rates of per capita abortions. The abortion movement per se, when you're going through the data, has been totally ineffective. It hasn't reduced America's demand for abortions, if you put it that way, people still get accidentally pregnant and get abortions. Now, again, you can actually look at the charts, the numbers, you know. So look, if you were a pro-abortion uh, activist during the same period of time, you'd say over 50 years, if you were now in your 70s, you move on, it's very easy to convince yourself that your side is winning and you go to conferences and you meet with other anti-abortion activists. But no, the numbers don't lie. Americans eat more meat than ever. Europeans eat more meat than ever. So, but really briefly, it's important to say, Africans eat more meat than ever. Indians, people in India, people in South America, people in Japan. There was a time when there wasn't a single cow in Japan. The first Japan, the first cow in Japan, the first production of beef in Japan was introduced by Americans. It's a totally mm -hmm. modern thing. And I said, Japan didn't have a culture of, of beef eating at all. Well, guess what? Now they're world famous for their beef. They're beef exporters. And beef. No, so you know, it's not true. Within the last 50 years, Vegans have not been winning. We have been losing. Now, the question about religion is interesting. We could talk about it for an hour. But, I mean, if our real point is to talk about veganism, I mean, unfortunately, I can just cut to the chase and say no. And again, I can send you, I, I did just recently repost the numbers. It's especially shocking for China. China is a world unto itself, maybe 1.4 billion people. 
Certainly yeah, China, well over 1 billion. The amount of meat consumed just by China, consumed per capita and absolutely. But we have reasons as to why that occurs. That's, we have, right that's, that's true, yeah. Earth. Go on, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. If, if if things keep going the way they're going, but that's like saying but, fossil you, fuel, you fossil were just fuel has gone up. You were just saying if things keep going the way they're going, everyone's going to believe in equal rights for animals and nobody's going to want to like you lobsters. So, no, I was I was defending I was defending Wayne's okay, statements. I was okay, defending okay, Wayne's yeah, statements. Yeah, I understand. But but that. like no, no I, I'm I'm not. I can't I, believe I was defending his statement of, of welfare because I think that that's what some what what people can um can kind of agree on is animal welfareism. I'm an abolitionist, right. and I I don't believe that that should even be the goal. That's that's Wayne Shung's goal is is welfare, right. and so when he talks about what his goals are and whether or not they're achievable in his lifetime by twenty whatever he said, it's it, it seems more realistic because he's talking about welfare. I, I um, think he's in denial those of numbers. That. I, I, I agree with about, you that a lot of what he says is de facto welfareist. But I think Wayne himself doesn't believe that to one extent. That's so just just inserting that for the audience. Wayne doesn't present himself overtly as a welfare. But go on, yeah. I, I I agree with this. Overtly, he in the court he does. In court, he talks. He, he, oh, yeah. he puts himself out there as a welfareist. He talks about the welfare of these animals and the reason why they're why it's not illegal for him to rescue them is because they're not living because the because the farms raising them are breaking the welfare laws that are already on the books. He had That's a farmer welfare. come in and praise him. Uh, I forget if it was a cattle farmer or a sheep farmer or what, or a pig farmer, but he had a he had a ruminant animal farmer come in and praise him because Wayne has helped so much with in, improving conditions on the farm. Maybe it was a chicken farmer, I forget. But he had he had a he had a witness in his defense who was a meat producing farmer saying, "Oh, I think yeah. it's good. With they've helped us raise our standards on the farm." Well, back to veganism and global trends. Oh, so I think you're yeah, right yeah. about the fuck about about China and and it it is really frightening right. because it's not just it's not just animal consumption it's uh it's fossil fuels it's a lot of things that are on we're, we're using more we're not using less um we're deforesting more we're we're uh, degrading soil more it's speeding up and not slowing down which is why it seems like we're barreling towards what would you know what your your religious friends would call the apocalypse and um i think that if we don't try to find some glimmer of hope and fight it then then we'll just then we'll just uh we'll just go without a fight i guess right. I, I don't begin with hope fight. my philosophy proceeds from hopelessness i'm not selling you false hope so again i can use any example if i'm talking to the navajo indians if i'm talking to the korean ojibwe people in canada i don't sell them false hope my philosophy is not built on a lie my religion is not built on a lie. i am not asking anyone to believe anything that's impossible to leave. I am proceeding from the truth and the reality of the situation, no matter how bleak it may be. So that, that includes, you know, sort of chapter one of this conversation we talked about in the first 30 minutes, that I don't make heroes out of any of these people. I don't look at uh, Henry Ford and try to find what's good about him or Napoleon Bonaparte or even Voltaire. I'm really willing to accept the extent to which we're now beginning with a blank sheet of paper in the 21st century and that we, we may have no heroes and no positive precedents to look up to. And again, sorry, you understand, I am opposed to slavery. I am in favor of the abolition of slavery. That's the point. But I do not accept this kind of lazy thinking that the abolition of slavery provides us with a template, with a positive example we can emulate or imitate, that there's really any coherent uh, comparison that gets you from, you know, the abolition of slavery, what we're doing, just as I don't accept that for Mohandas Gandhi and Cassie King 
Get the abolition of slavery and why it's why it's important to always think about abolition of slavery i think is because of how first of all how controversial the issue always was right. uh the, the idea of slavery was always controversial philosophers talked about it from since aristotle the 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 um ideas of eating animals has also been controversial uh and but it's widely accepted that it's okay it's since the days of aristotle is again aristotle talked about eating animals and that animals are slaves yep. and, and in in a positive way he uh, he upheld the the ideas right. of uh, the status quo so i mean that's why i think it's important to think about something like a gross injustice that's widely accepted as just the status quo the norm something that's that's barely visible but is still controversial and that when you bring it up it could tear families asunder and i i i think it's absolutely as important i think it's absolutely linked with like the ideas of how slavery was um so public i just like to pause i'm not calling you racist i'd like to cause every okay let's call everyone in this audience racist mike the musical vegan beast you are racist let me call everyone i'd like to insult everyone who's in the live audience right now here's my, Why? Here's my question for you. Okay. when you talk about the abolition of slavery for some reason you don't mention the history of the abolition of slavery in china did you know I that mean, China has its own history of the abolition of slavery? Of course. Wait, that's not the end of the list, right? Mm -hmm. Did you know there's a history of the abolition of slavery in Sri Lanka, in India, in France, in the French Empire? There are actually many histories of the abolition of slavery pertaining yeah. to... No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Thailand. Has, have any of you Googled once... Because what's the, the point, I saw, like, this is, that's why you're racist, Mike the Vegan Beach. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but my point is this. Why Mike it the is, Vegan It is Beach? fundamentally very lazy to proceed from this one propaganda narrative of the abolition of slavery in the United States to the supposed lessons we as vegans are going to apply to the vegan movement day, or even more broadly, ecology. I more take it as a global. Country. No, I talk about it as a global level, mostly mostly from a Western perspective because of the way the the, the way New Zealand and uh, the UK. I mean, home, you know, Anglo Anglophonic uh, cultures are more accessible to me, and I, I I certainly might have a bias when it comes to that. But no, right. I'm 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 vaguely aware of all of the abolition movements that happened around the world when it came to slavery as far back as the fucking Romans. So I mean, like even 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 they were talking about the problems with slavery I, I, look i'm just being i don't believe you've read one book about the history of abolition of slavery in china i don't even read book. one article about it. no of no, course but, but not. Have, you, have you even read a I newspaper said vaguely article? i said vaguely aware it, of, no, it's, of, it, of it's incredibly rare i mean wayne wayne Xiong is genetically chinese he has never yeah. once mentioned the history of the abolition of slavery in china now i don't know how well he speaks chinese he may like i just don't know him like that he identifies as a buddhist He's a Taiwanese Chinese Buddhist. Yeah, but that doesn't. Yeah. No, no, no. But wait, wait. This is the extent of the brainwashing that goes on here. Okay, you have one narrative about the abolition of slavery, and it doesn't involve the Cree or the Navajo or any indigenous people or the Arawak Indians or you know it doesn't. It, there are things that excludes even in the history of North America, within the history of Spain and the Spanish Empire, within the history of France and the French Empire. There's a lot of things sure. that's excluding in crafting this narrative, but it also excludes huge parts of the Earth's surface, like India and China, that really matter. So you know, no, like I, I'm just I'm just pushing back on this. Obviously, I'm not I'm not seriously suggesting that you're racist, and I'm completely joking and calling no, this but guy I, 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 I get that. But like, but seriously, I, I, this is a problem. And Wayne you're, himself you're is brainwashed. Like Wayne himself is completely brainwashed in this way. Go on. 
but speaking from uh, speaking as an American who's part of a vegan movement and part of a social justice movement that I care about, there's no way. I, of course, I'm going to look to other social justice movements and and their their where they failed and where they succeeded. I mean, in lots of ways, the abolition movement was a failure. They had to fight a war in order for it to happen. So, I mean, like these are not these are not things that that vegans are not in a position to fight a civil war for veganism. We're no, not of even one percent of the population. You know? No, and, and and this is this is why I, we have to look at how right. public opinion. But look, uh, I'm going to give you an example issues. from my own experience as a YouTuber. If I wasn't a YouTuber, I probably never would have been in this situation. Like if I had gotten a PhD and stayed in academia, I'm a YouTuber. I have come on camera and say, "Look, I'm Jewish genetically. My people also owned slaves. There is this propaganda narrative around that Jews are angels and that all we yeah, want but- to do is liberate, and it's not true. Here's the real history of Jewish slave ownership. It's not true." We were, you know, whatever, we're normal human beings. And every empire we participated in, whether it was the British Empire, the French Empire, the Spanish Empire, like down in South America, Jewish people were slave owners. Jewish people were second-class citizens in the empire, but guess what? Black people were like fifth-class citizens. So like, you know, it was a totally, South South Africa, Jewish people in South Africa, part of the world. So you say, I come out and say that. Wayne Xiong is never going to come out and say, hey, look, I'm a Chinese man, and I want to talk about the history of slavery in China. Why? Right, so this is a very powerful propaganda narrative that dominates this generation. Doesn't it's not just Chinese people, not just Wayne Xiong. I'm just pointing this out, and I'm challenging it in this case for the very limited purpose of challenging the question of what happens next to the vegan movement. But there is a broader, more profound question there. You know, but you're but what you're saying, what happens next to the vegan movement is nothing. That we're fucked, and then no. the world comes to an end. No, you just haven't read my book yet. No, I, I do have a positive message for thing. I, I, will, I, will, I will read your book, but I am, I am looking. I, I am, we can totally I, I do think, a second interview after you read the book. No, I do. I do have a positive enough, but I, yeah. I, I would look forward to that. But, um, but I, I don't know how many people yeah. would want to read it if, right. the, if the no. message is not one of optimism. Because well, why, it, why is, it is one of optimism, but it's optimism of exactly the kind of pointing out with the Navajo Indians. Like, so let's just say you grow up on a Navajo reservation. This is very hypothetical. And all you grow up with is the promise that the future of the Navajo people is to get a bunch of guns together and rise up in a rebellion and declare independence and have a separate Navajo nation. And that's that's what ideas like hope are attached to. So then we have someone like me saying, no, that's not just not going to work today. It's not just this week or this month. That is never going to succeed. You need a fundamentally different approach for the future of your movement, right? And fundamentally different set of even kind of thematic concerns. What is the future of the Navajo people? That doesn't mean I'm a pessimist. It means I have a radically different set of tactics that I'm familiar with. So a conversation we had uh, off camera, and again, I'm not following you, but I remember you saying to me, well, what else are we supposed to do? I'm not faulty. It's a totally normal phrase to use. But that is appealing to this pre-established set of uh, tactics and strategies that are accepted by the majority of vegans that aren't accepted by me. A Navajo kid on the reservation, his father or grandfather might say, hey, look, why don't you believe in our independence struggle? Why don't you believe in us having this rebellion or revolution to set up a separate country? What else are we supposed to do? That's the only thing we know how to fight for. The fact that it's the only thing you know how to fight for doesn't mean it's the only source of hope and optimism and the only way to work towards a a better future. Again, for the Navajo people, for veganism, for ecology, and frankly, the survival of the planet in the context of rising levels of carbon dioxide and the Amazon. Yeah. (laughs) So no, no, I am an optimist. But like, so I'll give you a quick reminder. You were never a part of this cult. There were people from the Freely and Durian Rider camp who said the same thing you say to me. They say, look, all our hope is locked onto this model of packaging and marketing beauty, you know, slenderness, athleticism, you know, 
as a woman or a man, you can be lean, you can be muscular, and that the only way to do is to be in a, that this diet is going to physically transform you, make you very attractive. And I knew people, I'm especially thinking of middle-aged people, who really signed up for the Freely Enduring Rider Radiology. Now, interestingly, some of them already were vegan, but they converted to this new style of veganism. And they thought, here I am, like, they, they were a middle-aged person with a beer belly or whatever. They're out of shape, generally. They're, they're just not very attractive. And think, I'm going to I'm gonna look like I'm 25 years old again. I'm going to get in shape. This is going to transform my life. And then I'm going to become a glowing symbol of how great the vegan diet is. Like there's this domino effect theory. So when I'm criticizing those people, they respond the same way you do and the same way some of the people in your audience are. Like, oh, well, you don't have hope or belief in anything. No, I do have hope. I do have a set of strategies and tactics. They're just totally incompatible with your model, you know, which is basically about marketing the bikini body as uh, the road to a vegan planet, you know? So no, when I'm rejecting that whole paradigm, that doesn't mean I don't have my own paradigm. And again, the book is not that long. I do have my own paradigm for the positive pursuit change movement. And by the way, that's why Conroy hates me. That's why Cranky Vegan hates me. <laughs> well, he's cranky. He's a cranky one, that one. I mean, yeah. um, all right. Last, last question I want to ask you about. Uh, Cassie King is left holding the bag. She yep. has uh, all of her friends either are probably not going to be able to talk to her um, there or they'll be incarcerated. I mean, we'll see what happens, right? Uh, she is now a 20 something year old who I'm is 25. Go on, yeah, 25 ish, something. She's under 30. Um, yep. now in charge of, I think they said, I think they said this week that they had uh three and a half million dollars in their bank account and she's in charge of it now, right? She's the head of DXC, especially now that Zoe's gone. Is, At the risk of being sued, let me just say she slept her way to the top of direct action. <laughs> well, well however, she got there. she's increasingly all alone at the top. Please go on. Okay. Don't sue so, him. Sue me. Go on. Yeah. So, however, however, someone gets there. Um, Guy, it's a great career move for you. If you can seduce Cassie King, you can be the next leader. And you can have those $4 million can be under your that's, command. That's, yep. that's all I need to do is. Uh, Leap your way a, to the top of the movement. Yep. <laughs> what happens now with DXC if. If if Cassie King's left with it, couldn't it turn into something more? I don't know. Yes. Is there? Yeah. I think, that there's, I, I think that there's something else that could happen. I mean, maybe maybe they shift gears and DXC becomes a more reputable and more um, established thing. I mean, she had a different style, different tactic yep. only a few years ago. Maybe she, you know, reverts and she continues to raise money because she seems to be, you know, she's popular. People like her. Uh, maybe DXC changes and yep. um, well, I does think a when, metamorphosis within, within a belief-based organization, whether it's religious or political, a belief-based organization, the hardest thing for people to say to each other is, "What we're doing isn't working." they're all committed to believe, 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 believe in the leader, believe in the message, believe in the method, believe in the strategy, believe, in the believe, believe, believe. Now, among the people who lost faith in what DXE was doing include Wade Seong. I have clips of Wade Seong himself saying that he no longer believes in disruption. He no longer believes in the tactic of specifically, this is, I'm paraphrasing, but I've, I have a video clip of him saying this on camera. He no longer believes in running into a restaurant, running yeah. into a Chipotle restaurant and screaming at people. So I mean, the, the verb believe 
matters there. He did that for years and he doesn't believe it works anymore. Now, among other things, he quit being a member of DXC and he set up his own foundation. I feel what like all the reasons are. Sorry, you want to say something? Don't say yeah, no, but, I, just, I feel like yeah. I, I feel like it's BS. Like the fact that the idea that he left DXC, it's just it just doesn't seem real to me at all. I think that's all bullshit. I I don't know. I would say that when your ex girlfriends plural run the organization you started, there were a lot of reasons to get out. So I know of two ex girlfriends of Wayne that are you know on the board of directors giving orders at DXC. One is Priya, and the other mm -hmm. is Cassie. Now, yeah. I don't know how well you get along with your ex-girlfriends or your ex-wives. If my ex-wife was the head of a vegan foundation that I had something to do with creating or I was the president, I am not having anything to do with that foundation anymore. You know, hit me up in the comments, guys, if you disagree. You know, look, I mean, you know, some some people do get along with their ex-boyfriends and ex-wives that well. Well, it seems but, like you know, all of all I, his, I, entire I dating, his entire dating history is the, he, yeah. yeah. All right, well, nonetheless, really is nonetheless, charge. You now but have Cassie King, a twenty-something-year-old, sitting sitting on right. upwards of four million dollars, maybe more now that they've been fundraising right. aggressively. Uh, what happens now with DXC? Because it, I, right. I don't see it going on the way we've we've known it. Is this the end of DXC, or is it metamorphosizing into something different? So, and it could be worse. I mean, what it metamorphosizes into could be even worse than what they were in the past. I'm totally open to that possibility. You know, change is an objective fact. Progress is an ideology. Um, you know, with uh, Extinction Rebellion in the UK, I have made videos talking about this, but I don't have the yeah. timeline memorized. Over one year ago, they hit a breaking point. Uh, so their leader resigned and started his own separate foundation, just like Wayne. So the guy who really was the voice, the, the main guy giving interviews, he wasn't just the leader, he was the public face, giving all the interviews to the press. They asked him to leave and and or he volunteered to leave and he started his own separate foundation. So that's a big change. And more or less simultaneous with that, they had this recognition. They said what they were doing, disruption per se, doesn't work. Disruption creates more enemies than friends and that they were fundamentally going to re-examine, re-evaluate their tactics and come up with a new strategy and new tactics. Now, I've got bad news for you. The new model, the new theory, the new philosophy they've adopted is even worse, right? So that's, that's Extinction Rebellion, which is primarily in the United Kingdom, primarily in Europe, but is to some extent global, yeah. uh, but disproportionately in, in England and Western Europe. Um, but there are uh, there are some chapters in Canada, the United States, probably Australia, and, and, and some places like that too. Now look, um, you know, as I say, the first step that's so hard is for people to look in the mirror, look at their friends, look back at what they did with the last five years uh, of their lives and say, this isn't working. Now, I have many redeeming qualities, but, you know, that's one of them. That's maybe my main one is to look at the mistakes I've made and admit to myself the mistakes and say, this isn't working. This isn't taking me where I want to go. But look, it's hard. I lost years of my life studying the Chinese language, unlike Wayne's Young. You, know, you study Chinese, you work so hard. At it, and like, seriously, you wake up at six in the morning and you sit there and you practice this language and it's so hard. It's so much hard work. It's very easy to get into a believer's mentality. This must be for the best. This must be for some outcome. It's very hard to stop yourself and say, you know, this is a disaster. This is not, I have to quit. I have to quit studying Chinese. This may sound fucked up to some of you people. What do you think's harder? Quitting gambling or quitting Chinese? A sense of your personal identity is invested, your personal destiny, your political significance mm. in the world. I was going to be someone 
My opinion about Chinese politics was going to matter. My opinion about Chinese history was going to matter. And now all that's gone. All that's lost. I've been through that kind of personal tragedy uh, several times. It's hard. And for now, again, I've only been watching DXE for the last 10 years. I've only been watching Extinction Rebellion for what, the last five years, four years, some of that. Uh, you know, I've only been watching this. For the people who've actually been doing this shit, who've actually been on the street chanting, pouring blood of them, over themselves, getting naked, getting arrested, running on the sports fields, they have been repeating these mantras. They've been trying to convince those. And again, I think the best example, I know she'll, she'd great if you could do an interview with her, Rachel Ziegler hit a breaking point where she had to look mm -hmm. back at what she'd done with her life in the last eight years. You don't get another eight years, guys. You don't get your eight years back and say that she had been a member of a cult. And now, look, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. It's not as if she's going to look back at her life and say that she's accomplished absolutely nothing positive. But she's going to look back and say, okay, the positive things are little bits and pieces like this, and the negative, you know, that's the reality. You know, the 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 poetic image I like to use is that you're making muffins. And you say, oh, you can't eat chocolate? Don't worry, there are only a few chocolate chips you can eat around them. You know, at some point, there are so many chocolate chips in the muffin that it's it's more chocolate chip yeah, than it is. is. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's true. Maybe there are just a few chocolate chips in the muffin. You know, <laughs> like you know, oh, you don't you don't like chocolate chips? No problem. Just eat around it. Well, at some point, so it's it is that kind of that kind of reckoning. And look again, my message: I'm not going to tell you I'm half right. My <laughs> message is 100% the correct message. I was right eight years ago. You can watch the critique and condemnation of direct action everywhere I made eight years ago. And people like Cassie King can watch that video today and say, God damn, I wish I'd heard that. I wish I knew that then. What I know now. And it's it's even more, I mean, whatever. As right as I was eight years ago, I'm even righter now. The book is fairly new. Maybe maybe Cassie will read your book. And I know that you're, you yeah. said the first chapter or something is, is available as a YouTube uh, uh Yeah, video. two of the chapters are up on YouTube. Um, if you want, I could get the I could get the links. But yeah, it, it says uh, sure book or book. It. It's actually okay, chapter so. one and chapter three that are up uh, as, okay. as YouTube videos. Yeah, very cool. I just want to make and, sure we mention that in case. And the book wants is to. in Spanish, so one of the videos is in Spanish too. The entire book has been translated and published in Spanish, so we'll see. Maybe Italian <laughs> is next. Yeah, yeah. For, There's Kerry. He's not as bad as I thought he'd be. For revolutionaries in in Mexico, they can uh, they can relate to it. Yeah. Hey, you know what? This would be a great gift for Wayne Siong in jail. You know, if anyone is, well, if 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 anyone can send Wayne a book in jail, he'll recognize my face on the cover. I think that'll really. Last time I heard, last time I heard, he was asking for books in Vietnamese so he can give it yeah. to his bunkmate. I can't so, help him there. No, I don't have any books in Vietnamese. <laughs> they want to. They want to. They want you to send a book, a Vietnamese, a book in Vietnamese, so that he can give it to his, um, his bunkmate, his cellmate. Yeah. Well, look, let, let's take seriously the message of DXE for one minute here and for, for your own life, uh, Sky. So I just said earlier, I actually know one other vegan who has a background in managing a stand-up comedy club. I was like, look, maybe you, me, and her can get together and I should make something. That to me is pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. um, but you want to take that seriously, but... Um, if you want to take that if you want to take seriously, let me just ask you, why don't you start a modeling agency? If anyone believes that bikini models are the future of the vegan movement... You know what I mean? If we actually believe this, you know what I mean? We can start, uh, you know, you could devote the next 10 years of your life to auditioning uh, very beautiful women. 
If you want to, you can open a gym. Well, that's never been my. That's never been my. I know I it's not I, yours. I know. Go no, on. No, no, no. But I don't. I don't see things as 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 black and white as you do. I suppose because I don't. I don't think that we can point at anything and say, okay, well, that's not working and this isn't working. And, and that's because if we look at history, there's a bunch of flaws and starts and we could say, well, that didn't like manumission laws didn't work or whatever. You can, you can just point at things that didn't work. Well, those were all stumbles and steps on the way to something. And I really, my, my personal belief is that a, um, a symphonic effect takes it kind of starts starts uh, occurring in movements so that we're able to create that we're able to create that that um that change so if it's bikini models if it's disruption if it's uh bloody displays or uh or loud or or just posting or resharing on the internet or any kind of activism that somebody wants to do if they're up off the couch and they're trying to get their voices heard and it's for the betterment of um of animal lives then i think that um that it, that it has a, it has a place i think it has a place okay. i don't want to throw I don't want to ever point. Well, I take this seriously. I'm not trivializing. I'm not dismissing you say at all. Okay, but two points real quick. And these these cut deep. I mean, for people in the audience, you've really got to think about this. Okay, I've heard your general statement. I recognize it's well-intentioned. But you have one life to live. You mm. have only so much talent. And you have to make the de decision. Do you want to get a PhD in physics? Or do you want to open a modeling agency? And it can't be both. And, you know, just to give another example. Do you want to open, uh, do you want to get a, uh, sorry, do you want to open a vegan comedy club? Do you want to operate mm -hmm. a, a comedy club or do you want to open a bakery? You know, and spend your time just dealing with vegan, vegan baking and, you know, vegan activism through food. Or do you want to get, well, you're you right. Nutritional science. You have to make this choice. And, and again, you have only one life. You have only the next five years, the next 10 years. So like there is a really finite framework and what you're saying, I, I understand how well-intentioned is. You're kind of saying all roads lead to Rome. No answer is completely wrong. You can't say something is, is completely wrong. Yes, you can. You can waste your life by choosing the wrong method, by choosing the wrong beliefs, by choosing the wrong political ideology. If, 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 you're, if, if you're so strict and, and, and kind of rigid in your direction, perhaps, but I think that one thing I've learned okay, in my life and also what you said too. You like, to, if you go to nutrition college, because you could, like you personally, you're smart enough. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to become a nutritional scientist, you can do that. And yeah. the whole audience will support you probably. Your so, oh, great. Okay. You want to get a degree in nutritional science. But there's a whole lot of things you can't do. Like you can't simultaneously do the nutritional science and run a comedy club or and run a modeling agency and be able to be so no, it's maybe not simultaneously, but, but one of the worst things one of the worst things that people do, one of the worst things that people do when they're on their deathbed is regret that like the right. accountant. I already put right. the you know the sunk cost fallacy at the accountant. I went to accountant school, I became an accountant, I was good at it, I did it for so long. And when I really, right. really right. want what I actually wanted to do was open a vegan comedy club, right? But I never did it. Because I was so good at being an accountant, I never wanted to right. give that up. Sure, well, that is something. That is something that I've never had a problem doing. Right. If I'm, we if, if I see, if I see something sucks, I try to, I jump to the next thing to try to to try to make best time of my life. Because and we, and people like uh, my friend Jess will say like, "Is there something you haven't done?" Well, there are a lot of things I haven't done, but I think that my life seems fuller to most people from the outside because. I've packed more in by saying, okay, 
let me try something new. Let me try this. Let me find, let me, let me listen, to, let me listen for opportunity as well. That's something that a lot of people do. They hear opportunity. They don't fucking, they don't open the door. So, right. I mean, there's but, lots but, but, to, un- I literally know people, I literally know people who dropped out of their PhD in order to be a vegan YouTuber. Literally. Okay. Yeah. I know people who quit their day job to eat the durian rider diet, the freely diet and work out at the gym for five hours a day and try to be a sexy internet personality for the future of the vegan movement. Future plan. This happens. People make decisions. They make sacrifices and other people chose to go to university and study nutritional science. People make these decisions and they make these decisions for the movement. For the future yeah. of the vegan movement. They do. And there are people in this audience now. Some of you already have made those decisions. Some are coming up. So, no, the sacrifice is absolute. And, like, the, the limiting factor here is one human life. That there's only so much you can do. Okay? So, that, that's my counter-argument to you. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying that when you zoom into that scale of one person, that this yeah, is how all the things are. And but if you I make the wrong choice, because... you live with it. You live with the consequences. You, you live with the consequences. But then that person, if they're now that they've they've proven that they can accomplish something or they make mis misguided steps, they take misguided steps, they can always either go back to that original course or take a different course and, and find something else, make this life a wonderful adventure. Life is supposed to be an adventure, and adventures have what thorny roads. Has and, been for and, me. I mean, as you know, some people are just an accountant their whole lives, right? Well, no, that, but, I mean Right. That's that's why I think the accountant story is so that right. the accountant analogy is so is much more apt because I think that I I find that to be much more often the case where they go oh well this is what I'm supposed to do and this is all I do and this is who I am and then they live and they die or just it could it doesn't have to be an accountant it could be sweeping a factory floor I knew a guy he swept a factory floor at a GM factory his whole life right. went home and drank his six pack of beer every night raised a family but that's all he did and he lived a modest life there's nothing wrong with that but i i, I think I that think he is. probably i think, I think he was wrong. Wrong. too Go on. Well, I, I, it's not for me, certainly, but I would say that he, he would be one of the people that would be afraid that had he quit his job and joined a vegan movement or joined the circus for all I care, that it would have been um, so detrimental to his future. It would have been, it's, he could never go back and find any purpose in life. It's too dangerous. And that's so, something that I want to move. That's something I want to, I want to rail against. I, right. I want people to get up, try, right. try doing something that's ineffectual. Right. 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 But again, but th- this is in the book. You can't, give people the desire you can't give them the will that's the one well, thing you can't share you read can't your book the before they get up okay. off the couch i need to get them off no. off the couch collect a signature get in a bikini i don't care get as, up as we say in latin vela non discutur the will cannot be taught the desire the passion you've got it i've got it your your own brother doesn't have it i don't even know if you have a brother you know what i mean there will be people in your life they don't have it they never will and it's hard to face up to that your own parents, your own brothers and sisters, maybe your own husband or wife for some of you, they don't have the will and they never will. So again, this is a huge difference in a populist and an, and an elitist approach. We admit that. Well, so I want to just come back to your original premise. I totally understand and appreciate what you said when you said a symphonic effect. So I just, for people in the audience, symphonic effect, the point is, okay, I'm just playing the flute. You're just playing the harp. Someone else is playing the drums, but it comes together. I really do. It's an important idea in politics. And the idea is, okay, look, some people look good in a bikini, like me. Some people are just incredibly sexually attractive, and they can, you know, they don't have any problems in life. So, you know, those people who are really attractive and can wear a bikini, it's okay for them to do bikini activism. And then someone else with some other talent, just like you have the flute player and the harp player, and then you'll just optimistically hope 
that this will all kind of contribute to a greater whole. Okay, so I'm, I'm giving credit. I understand what you mean. Here's the problem. It's not just hope for it. You 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 push. You need you need conductors as well. You need people to push the move. You can't just have we hope that it will all come together. But but okay, I'm an expert in the history of communism. All right, with the history of communism, there is no symphonic effect. Communism as an ideology starts off bad and evil and wrong. In the middle, it's bad and evil and wrong. In the end, it's bad and evil and wrong. And that's it. And it never improves. And it still is today. Still today. I mean, I know today, China and Cuba, they're only moderately horrible places to live, uh, unlike, you know, the past when it was more extreme. But no, communism is a philosophy. And there's still people in the United States of America preaching and believing in communism. Now, again, I can use, uh, by the way, the fact that I'm genetically Jewish does not mean I support the Jewish faith. I think as a religion, I think Judaism is terrible. But Islam in the beginning, it was bad. In the middle, it was bad. In the end, bad. there is no symphonic effect. And there's no way you can say to a Muslim, well, you just play your flute. You just play your harmonica. And it's all going to add up to a greater symphonic whole. No. The ideology is wrong. The philosophy is wrong. The political praxis, the methodology, it's wrong, wrong, wrong. And the only way to improve it is to reject it, is to pull it out by its roots, to repudiate it and not believe in it very fundamentally. So that is the kind of opposition I have to the other people who basically compete with me for a leadership voice in the vegan movement. I'm not just trying to make a minor amendment to what's going on with, with veganism. And I'll, I'll just say, you know, I'm not a prude. I, I, you know, I don't want to make pornography illegal. I really don't. I just don't want the future of the vegan movement to be pornography. <laughs> so these are different things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have I have misgivings about certain things in that in that department as well. Not to get too deep into it, but the yeah. uh, I I I just I just would say that veganism is not starting out wrong, is middle wrong, and is in the end evil and wrong like communism or um, Islam. Uh, veganism doesn't rely on spectral evidence like Islam or any other religion, and it doesn't rely on um, the abolition of in literally everything like communism or like marxism does it doesn't doesn't rely on the abolition of the family unit and the fan and and of all religion like marxism does so i mean like when when we're comparing these things we have to we have to at least keep an, an eye on 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 that that we are not part of a movement that started out evil right. is in the middle evil and is ending evil we're, we're, um, but no but that is my perspective and i know i know you agree with me to some extent i'm not saying you agree with me absolutely but you know, I'll give you I'll give you a very simple example. So here is the number one most popular definition of an approach to veganism in the world today. You love your pet cat, you love your pet dog. You should want to treat cute pigs the same way you treat your pet cat and your pet dog. So this is petism, right? No, sorry again. I don't want to out you. I know you are broadly. <laughs> yeah, every, yeah, everyone knows that. Yeah, I'm, I'm hardly opposed I'm, to that. So no, yeah. you know, I just think my position is fine. Nobody else has to be in this position. But my position is I am vegan and I'm advocating for a better and brighter future for the vegan movement and a better life for you, for you people in the audience. I am actually telling you how to lead a better and more meaningful life than what Wayne Siong is teaching. If you follow Wayne Siong's philosophy, you can end up in jail like Wayne Siong or just having a shitty, terrible life. Like uh, Rachel Ziegler, I'm regretting other. If you live a life like Durian Ryder, if you live a life like I am opposed to that, but it's not just in praxis. No, very fundamentally and profoundly, I am repudiating veganism. 
the same way I would repudiate communism. And just to mention, I was a I was a member of the Buddhist religion for approximately ten years. I've actually never counted. Maybe it was eight years, whatever it was. But within Buddhism, I also was making the argument: Look, guys, we can have a bright future in Buddhism, but here's all the stuff we fundamentally have to repudiate. Just to give an example, believing in ghosts. I don't want to be a part of a religion that's based on belief in ghosts. There are all kinds of things in yeah. Buddhism. But no, we needed a new, fundamentally radical, new, different set of attitudes uh, for Buddhism to have a future at all, in my opinion, for the religion to not die or just become ridiculous and, and laughable in the 21st century. So no, so that that is my position. And look, I just give you a prediction, Sky. I mean, you haven't read my book yet. I think in the next five years, you are going to agree with me more and more and more. That's my prediction, just based on knowing you to the extent that I do. Nothing I'll never agree that, that that it started out as a as a it started out wrong and evil. I won't I won't ever agree with that because veganism started out as as a as part of peace aims after world in the after World War II. There's all sorts of wonderful things about the vegan movement as is. I don't want to now if if we're gonna if we're gonna throw it away and reinvent it. I'm not, I don't even, I'm not sure I'm totally against that, but I will say that there are wonderful things about the movement as is that yeah, I don't know. Not, I'm being real with you. For me, this is no. the thing. for me, it is, there is no baby in the bathwater. For me, it is throw out the bathwater. There is no baby in the bathwater. It's that bad. That absolutely is my, my position within the vegan movement. And look, so again, I'm not faulting you, but it's very easy to present a propaganda. The narrative. vegan movement, you said, you said as a possible, as as a as a philosophy. Oh, veganism as a that's, that's what I'm saying. I am totally. I've made videos. You've seen my titles, even saying, "No, I'm totally opposed to vegan activism as it now exists." No, my my, my opposition to it is is absolute. But look, you, you know, again, I, I'm glad you can hear the tone of my voice because I'm not angry at you. Uh, but you know, okay, you say the history of veganism starts after World War II. All right, so ancient Greek philosophers, they they count for nothing. We can start the clock in ancient Greece. We can start the clock in ancient India and in ancient China. We can include Taoism mm -hmm. and Buddhism. <laughs> we can include a lot of sources there. We can include mm -hmm. Pythagoras. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, so I don't know, World War II? Uh, this is already a kind of propaganda narrative uh, you're presenting, but I'm being real with you the same way I've said to you, look, if you actually start to investigate, I, I think you're already aware of this too, if you start to investigate who Mohandas Gandhi was and what he actually represents, whoa, it turns out he's one of the villains of history, not one of the heroes. No, I'm just being real with you. There is nothing for me in the history of veganism to glorify. And again, who am I supposed to look up to? Doreen Ryder? Who am I supposed to look up to? The people who within my own lifetime have, you know, I'm sorry, if you guys don't know, I criticize Doreen Ryder because I say the science behind his diet is bunk science. He responded yeah. by to an audience of millions claiming that I was a pedophile. He made allegations mm -hmm. of pedophilia about me. And he tried to organize a gang to beat me up and drag me to the police office and charge me with the crime of being a pedophile. Talk about spectral evidence. So it's a, it's a mm -hmm. term of art. <laughs> Meaning imagine this this was as spectral as it gets. I mean, this was a madman in his hotel room. Made a madman with uh, who identifies as as having autism just invented this out of thin air, and I got to live through hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of vegans dragging yeah, but, I mean, money through okay. the mud. I got to see who this movement but, is, and who but it sounds it. like. But it and sounds I'm not like you're, you're living in a world of saints, saints and and sinners, and there's no one in between. It's either and there are no saints. That seems like it's a, it's a world of saints and sinners, and there are no saints, and all sinners. Sky, when you look in the mirror, do you look in the mirror? Do you feel that you have you have misspent or misappropriated 
uh, just $1 million in your whole life. So I don't, maybe sometime you've misspent $5. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't know. Like <laughs> you could technically have embezzled at some point you had a company expense account and you, you embezzled $5. I don't, again, I'm not asking you to confess. No, like, I've never, you know I've no, never. This is a high stakes game. And I'm being real with you and saying, when I look at Wayne Seong, I see someone who is deeply shameful. And no, the millions of dollars he's wasted, they count. When I, again, sorry, James asked me, we can use any example. When I look at Earthling Ed, this is someone who is totally despicably, I'm sorry, the doctor's the head of nutrition facts, uh, Gregor. When I look at Dr. Gregor, yeah. millions of dollars. Dr. Gregor isn't my ally. He's on the same team as me. He's my enemy. All right. I'm just not kidding myself about it. And yeah, guess what? I got to see face to face, person by person, email by email, how many hundreds of thousands of vegans were willing to call me a pedophile because a high school dropout diet guru in Chiang Mai made up a story with zero evidence behind it that I had had an illicit love affair with, a, I think, a 16-year-old girl, which is legal It's legal in Thailand. It's legal in a lot of places. And allegedly, mm -hmm. I had a love affair with a 16-year-old girl who I wasn't even on the same continent with. He just made up stories that were geographically impossible. There were all kinds of reasons to be skeptical. I got to see just how stupid and malevolent everyone in the vegan movement is. And I've seen it again, again, again. It wasn't just Doreen Ryder. It's another uh, YouTuber called Socrates, who's now forgotten. She was at a time when she was uh, popular. Made up stories of me. I know who these people are. So there's the there's no one there's no one in the movement, it. past, present, or future that you think is someone worth. Uh, this you don't is think the year zero. 2023 think, is the year zero. Tom, yeah. Tom Regan. We have Tom yes. Regan. Yes, scumbag. Tom Regan's a scumbag. No, but I mean you're, you're choosing. Uh, you know, I mean, the, really, the uh, the the utilitarians are really the question. You, you've you've hinted at this before. But, you know, uh, look at Cosmic Skeptic and his personal connection to – sorry, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, the guy Singer. who wrote – no, the, the guy who wrote uh, the original book, uh, Animal Rights. Who's connected Peter to Singer. Them. Peter Singer, Animal, right. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, you know, for me, Animal Peter Liberty. Singer is a, is a complete scumbag. He's my he's my enemy and so on. So I'm so – Peter Singer's a scumbag, but that doesn't right. mean that – Right, 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 right. But we still have – we still have – yeah, pre. Yeah. you know, you see how hard it is. Look, I sympathize. It's hard. There are a lot of people who have difficulty facing up the extent to which Gary Yarovsky is a scumbag. It's hard to face up the extent Peter Singer is a scumbag. A lot of people put it this way: Francione, Francione's been really hard for me. But but, but you, but Reagan, you have a connection. People feel that way about Peter Singer, but it's it's all horseshit. His philosophy is fucking terrible. His political practice is terrible. Peter Singer has absolutely been leading the the vegan movement to a dead end his whole life, and he's still doing it. And Peter yeah. Singer gives interviews to fucking Extinction Rebellion. And it, it's he's part of the problem. He's not part of the solution under any heading. So I'm just saying yeah. that's the reality of the movement. It's been led by, you know, like, at, quote, unquote, at best, people like Peter Singer. Like at least Peter Singer reads and writes. At worst, it's people like Vegan Games. He wrote, he wrote a pretty good book. It gets book. worse and worse and worse. The, the, the leaders who have the vegan movement. Vegan Gaines is a despicable person. His effectively vegan movement Gaines is terrible. Is Vegan Keynes has four four hundred thousand subscribers now, I think. Yep. And uh yeah, his period, his peak period was more. He was reaching huge numbers of people, say five years ago or something. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean he's 70. uh yep. he's still is he is he the leader of the vegan movement? No, no, I'm just saying this is why I described it starting with a blank sheet of paper. There's 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 nothing to learn from the history of failure we have living up to this point. And again, from my perspective, this is very optimistic. Yeah, get out your burn your because <laughs> I was going to ask you because I, I want to because it's take it, so we're, off the shelf and burn it. It's all horseshit. It's we're starting from a blank sheet of paper in 2024. 
the year zero. That's my perspective uh, on the big two. I'm, again, I can be less honest. No, there's no one for me to look up to. I have no heroes. I have no prior precedents I can admire. There's no one for me to look back on fondly in this division movement, man. And look, I'm sorry. Look, hey, Aaron Janice, who in here worship? Guess what? Aaron Janice is now ex-vegan. You know, I'm sorry. Well, All Aaron of these people are scumbags. Aaron Janice always was crazy, always was dangerous, always was bad for the movement. I was one of the only people who knew it. Okay, now gradually more and more people learn it. We have had terrible leaders. And part of the reason is we have terrible followers. It's just, it's awful. So I look, hey man, uh, Sky, why do you think I'm talking to you? I'm for, uh, Look, who would be a better leader for the vegan movement? You or Peter Singer? Well. You don't have any doubt. <laughs> no, you are, look, this isn't funny. You are morally superior to Peter Singer. You are intellectually superior to Peter Singer. 10 years from now, you still will be. You'll probably get smarter in the next 10 years. When you're so I, hope, I hope I'll get smarter if I make it that far. But You um, can be a grand old man with gray hair. You can outdo Peter Singer. But there are no – we have no ancestors for you to look up to, man. I pre, you know, I like I like your kind of uh, your kind of neo futurist approach because uh, it does it does speak to me in, um, in many because yeah. it because you, you talk like a futurist that the museums are graveyards and that we don't need to spend time there amongst the dead. Yeah, but I I so I I'm, I'm moved by your words, but um, I do need to wrap up, and I wanted to know if you wanted to uh, to leave maybe with words. Of uh, or maybe not, maybe with words of encouragement or 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 uh, of or, or, uh, words of what? Hope, words uh, yeah, of some kind of of some kind of uh, positivity, because I think um, I think you're running into it like. I think that when we talk about burning the um, burning the past and um, taking down the statues and tearing down our monuments, we end up sounding a lot like Nietzsche. I've, through studying Nietzsche, found lots of positive um, and, and hopeful messages in his work. And yet, uh, the first time I read or learned about nihilism, it seemed antithetical to a human experience. It seemed completely uh, foreign to me and something that should be uh, looked down upon. And I, I remember when I first encountered it being like, what the, f what do you mean? You believe in nothing. Um, but I have found ideas. I mean, he, when he talks about the active nihilist and all of that, I think he's such an interesting person. I think that you run into the same kind of run in the, in the same category as someone like Nietzsche, where, you're not spreading a uh, you're not spreading a message of positive uh, positivity and hope, but you're hoping that someone will find some positivity in your message. Look, I I, I think my message is is tremendously positive. A very very brief comparison: when I studied Chinese, I also studied Japanese at basically the same time. There were some people studying those languages, Chinese and Japanese because they worshiped and idealized ancient Chinese literature. So Confucius, I'd never met anyone from what was Taoism, but say, you know, uh, ancient Chinese literature, like the Dream of the Red Chamber, or pre-modern literature, that's not really ancient. But anyway, the, the classical Chinese literature, okay? That's one type of person. Mm -hmm. You met people who worshiped modern anime out of Japan, modern pop culture garbage, video games and cartoons of this kind, of, a lot of them. You know, okay, different people were studying these languages for different reasons. And of course, most worryingly, there were people studying Chinese because they worship Mao Zedong. They worship communism. They believe in communism, this kind of thing. 
They have a fixed notion of what's what's good in the past that they want to access, study, learn, and then apply to the modern world. So is, is my position, starting from a blank piece of paper, is that more optimistic or more pessimistic? I am not beholden to Confucius. I'm not beholden to Mao Zedong. And I'm not even beholden to modern video games and anime, like, I don't know, pop culture uh, from the 20th century. You know, if what you want to be is an intellectual change in the world, of course, I think my my philosophy is is tremendously positive, motivating, and and liberating. You know, now look, um, this this is not based on a lie. If I had read uh, Voltaire's Candide and felt a tremendous sense of intellectual gratitude, I would tell you that. You know, I'm not going to sit here in front and just be like, oh, well, I'm just so brilliant that, you know, I look down on candy with scorn. You know, the, the reality is, my real experience is, I read Candide and I look down on it with scorn. That's, you know, the situation. I read a I lot mean, of ancient and great literature. And look, I've got to tell you something. I have read real Buddhist philosophy. I can tell you interesting things about it. I can make you, I can make it interesting for you. I can present it in a way that's very beguiling to a modern reader. But sure, fundamentally, Buddhist philosophy is stupid and evil and wrong. It's dumb. <laughs> you know, when you really understand it, you you understand how dumb it is. You know, that's mm. you know, again, what we do with that in the real world. You know, so look, you know, uh, um, I understand the sense in which it's unsettling to think of, for example, taking on the hard work of learning Chinese when there's no one you idealize and look up to in Chinese literature, Chinese history or or Chinese politics. But what you have to realize is that for me, it's even more positive. It's, it's to be engaged with this and say, for me, the history of China begins now. For me, we're starting from a blank piece of paper. For me, it's the year zero. And yes, it is with that same passion and, I mean, a fundamental kind of optimism that I'm still engaged with the vegan movement and saying history begins now. History begins now. Well, I it, it speaks to me because um, history begins now. What's past his prologue, so to speak? Candide, though, I mean. <laughs> Next live I mean, stream, literary appreciation of Voltaire's Candide. <laughs> I mean, isn't, isn't Candide the one where he says that common sense isn't common? I I, I, that... I do show him out. He's mentioned somewhere in chapter one. Or I chapter mean, fucking Voltaire, bro. I mean, yeah. Yeah. he had some... He had some it's a bangers. I mean, <laughs> right. And and Voltaire, you know, credit Voltaire changed the world in a way that Adolf Hitler didn't. You know what I mean? Like there are political leaders who killed huge numbers of people and didn't make the kind of civilizational change that Voltaire did. I, you know, Voltaire is really on the level with someone like Muhammad, Muhammad the prophet, and being one of the most influential people in the history of the world. And all he did was write very cynical, nihilistic stories. <laughs> About how everything in his own society is fundamentally bullshit. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's why you and I are going to open a stand-up comedy club together. Stand-up <laughs> comedy club. The world yeah. needs the world needs several dozen more Voltaire's. You know, it really the world, does. The world needs more Voltaire's. I like yeah. that. So let's yeah. let's let's end there, and uh, I'll read your book. We'll do it again. Um, thank you everybody for hanging out and uh Eisel, if you don't know uh we i was gonna get you to talk about why it's called a Abala, abalaciel 
Um, under the what's well, that mean? That means see, under the sky, far right? Too much. There's far too much for us to talk about to ever get to that question. It means okay, un, under the sky. Under the sky is that what it means? No, no, no. Does anyone else want to guess in the audience? So I don't no. know what Boz means. Right, right. So you know, I know the ciel means sky. Heaven. I know that. Well, heaven. Yeah, I mean, right. cielo so, and no, heaven it's, and sky. It's, it's it's tear down heaven, tear heaven out tear of the sky. Tear down, down with tear, heaven. I like yeah. it. Right. So abalita is tear down the state, tear down the government. Oh abalita, shit! I guess I did know that. Yeah. Abalitiel is to tear down heaven itself, to tear Let's even heaven on. itself out of the sky. And it does. It, I mean, so when I founded my YouTube channel, I seen it was going to be a, an atheist YouTube channel, uh, criticizing religion from the perspective of a former scholar of Buddhism and someone who had been deeply involved in, in Buddhism for many years. But the mm -hmm. same uncompromising, rapacious ethos has been applied to these these many other subjects for these many years. So, yeah. Tear down heaven. I like it. Maybe that's a... Uh... <laughs> Only now, only now do you find out what it was you subscribed to. What has he signed up for? Okay. Well, Great. I mean, I, 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 ironically, though, your name is Sky, and this is. <laughs> Tear down Sky. That's what it should have Tear been. Down sky is. <laughs> Tear down Sky. That's right. Well, it's funny. When I worked in restaurants, there was um, Cielito Lindo is a very famous um, song. Everyone knows it. It's the one that goes, ah, yeah, 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 da, 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 da. Everyone knows that song from like Mexican. If they know any Mexican song, that's what the song they know. Um, but the song is actually called Cielito Lindo. And so people would sing it when I walked in the door into the kitchen. Um, quite, yeah. It means little pretty heaven. Huh? Little pretty, but, uh. but a lot of them would call me Cielo because. Oh, no kidding. Huh, that's yeah. Like, so that's been my knife is says Cielo. The sort of yeah. nickname that's been with you your, your whole life. Wow, that's great. Yes, Yellow has been <laughs> yes, Yellow has been yeah. uh, a name that has followed me most of my life. Yeah, wow. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So you're my perfect yeah. nemesis. I am your yes, the a foil, if you will, a yin to your yang. <laughs> well, um <okay>. yes. <laughs> Trapped of the Matrix has been trying to tear down my channel for months now. Well, yeah. you're great. <laughs> okay, great, great talking uh, to you, Scott. Elliot Davies says to all people speaking negatively about Isley, uh, I'd uh, highly recommend that you check out his channel in spite of that because there's a lot to be learned from his content. I've, I've always maintained that your content makes me think about shit and I will always um, be in debt for that. So thank you. Okay. <laughs> Look, you All said right. you wanted to wrap it up about 30 minutes ago. So I'm ready to get the hang up button, man. What it's if you so want? hard to not abuse animals. Carnies can't fuck themselves. Go fuck themselves. This is a shot of all Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining all you beautiful vegans, uh, you vegan kings and queens and everything in between. Um, I hope 
that you realize that um, I always, I always admire people that get me thinking about uh, especially something I really care about in different ways. And I hope that, uh, that you also enjoy that from time to time. This has been one night show that I haven't done in a while. So thank you everyone for joining. And I hope that you are not discouraged from doing activism. I am still your cheerleader. I still think that every form of activism is important and that you get up off the couch and do something because the animals can't fight for themselves and the voiceless, they're not voiceless, but the, um, those who are, um, yeah, entrenched in the system of oppression. Thank you so much for everybody. Illegitimate non-carborundum. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Because I need you and we need each other and uh, the aminals definitely need you. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow. Pre-shifts tomorrow. <laughs>